0: For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.
1: I want to get to our first guest uh, because that first guest only has 10 minutes to speak to us. And uh, I feel it's uh, important to get uh, as much in there as possible as regards questions. Uh, But first of all, uh, it befalls to me the sad duty uh, to relate to those of you who may not know that uh, Neil Prendival's dad passed away uh, last Friday. Uh, Tim Prendival was always nice to me in the few times um, that we met over the years, the family occasions, Prendable's fitted furniture uh, and all of that. So to Neil and Paula and uh, their children, Luke and Cathy, and to the extended Prendival family, uh, we offer our sincere condolences uh, as friends and as uh, colleagues on a team. Uh, and may he rest in peace. Uh, the death has occurred of Tim Prendiville, and we commiserate and send uh, our sympathies. Now, Neil has indicated that he will be ready to return to the airwaves on Thursday and I'm happy to fill the spot until then or longer if needed. But to the business of the day, as I'm sure Neil would want, and uh, I'm uh, welcoming uh, party leader for Fern Ma- Mary Lou MacDonald, who's on a very tight schedule. Uh, good morning to you, Mary Lou. Good
2: morning. How are you? Can I, can I just first of all add my sympathies and condolences to Neil and the Prenderville family on the loss of of uh, Tim of of his father and Very, very sorry to hear that
1: news. I thought you might like to do that. So thank you very much, Mary Lou. Now then, I mentioned last week in passing, I think I was talking to a Sinn Féin rep, uh, that I felt that Sinn Féin had been a little quiet over the summer recess. Uh, And it elicited some texts into the programme along the lines of, has Mary Lou left the country? Why is Mary Lou missing in action? But of course, you had a very serious medical intervention. And in these times when women's health is often spoke of in hushed tones. You've been very open and forthright uh, about your condition, about the medical intervention you had and why you were necessarily a little quiet over the summer. So the first question I'm going to ask you is probably from a humanity standpoint the most important I'm going to ask you this morning. How are you?
2: Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm very well. Um, I'm very, very well. I'm, I'm fully recovered, thank God. I'm uh, fit as a fiddle and back in action and... Yes I had to have a surgical procedure it was serious enough um uh but I have uh taken the time that was necessary to recover and I'm happy to report that I have recovered uh, fully and listen I knew because you know it it's just one of these things when you have a, a job that puts you in the public eye when you when you're in service to the public obviously when you're not in action for a number of weeks people legitimately ask you know what's going on and where are you um so i felt it was important just to explain to people that i had been away uh, that i required this care and this surgery that i'm now back um in great form and up and asset and more than more determined than ever to deliver change and progress uh, for people but also to to say out loud what the procedure was because I agree with you I think far too often um, matters that relate to women's health women's reproductive health has have been kind of a little bit taboo even in these days so um, so I spoke uh, about that by the way I'm very conscious that uh, other women who have had uh, hysterectomies who have lost their womb their ovaries uh, have done so in far 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 more traumatic circumstances than I. So all I have uh, is a story of gratitude and great relief um, that I have been through the surgery and I've emerged w- with, without the need for any other further treatments or therapies. I'm so conscious of other women uh, for whom that that uh, was not or is not the, the case. And uh, my goodness, my solidarity and thoughts are, are with all of them. And I, I do think it's important that we can Talk about these things um, and that there is a a sense of solidarity across society when women's health issues, whether it's issues around menstruation or menopause or in this case, hysterectomy and and all that that entails. That actually there's a space for a compassionate and an informed conversation, not just amongst women, but amongst amongst men uh, as well.
1: Yeah. Now, I know we're here to, uh, to talk about things political, but, um, just really thank you, uh, for being so forthright ab- uh, about that. We better move on. Or we'll never cover the stuff we're meant to cover. Parties sure. all stepping up to election, footing down Mary Lou MacDonald, upcoming lo- uh, local and European elections, uh, June 2024. A plan for, uh, you know, you're looking at going into the Doyle again for the current term coming up, looking at a general election, uh, which must be held by March 2025. The, uh, election boundaries have been redrawn a busy time for every political party how are you shaping up
2: yes a very bit busy time i, I think once the, the shape of the general election constituencies were confirmed by the boundary commission really uh for everybody was the signal that it's game on there is no doubt we're on on our marks now for elections as you say in the summer local and europeans we'll be running a, a very large number of candidates we want people to come out and participate in those uh, elections because start the, the the change that we need really will start at that point um, so we as a party are obviously preparing we're in the process now of selecting candidates um, and we have an eye on the summer we also have an eye on on the the general election because we undoubtedly now need a change of government to affect the kind of progress and change that people need in their everyday lives so we're feeling very positive positive. Um, we, we are not despite some of the commentary that I see you know in the media amongst some who say well you know it's it's a foregone conclusion and Sinn Féin definitely in government or suggesting that we're anyway presumptuous we're not I, I met with the team on Friday in Dublin uh, we had you know a, a very good uh, session good conversations Uh, everybody is up for it and we all know there is one certainty for us and that is the absolute necessity for very hard work and we are going to put in the hard yards put in the slog and then ask the people in a spirit of humility not in any way presumptuous to actually give us the chance to deliver change at, at a European level at a local level but critically and crucially in terms of forming the next government. Okay,
1: if there's one criticism leveled at, at Sinn Féin more than any other when it comes to manifesto and, and uh, putting forth policies, uh, is that you want everything, but you don't properly cost it. How, how, would, how would you answer that?
2: That could not be more untrue. As a matter of fact, for years and years now, our, led by uh, our finance spokesperson, Piers Doherty, Sinn Féin comprehensively cost comprehensively details um revenue raising matters and how we intend to uh, invest money in terms of capital spend and current spend and as a matter of fact i, I would say and i don't wish to appear uh, in any way sort of uh, they say self-praise is no praise but let me give a little bit of praise to our to our team uh, it's done to a level that that is really uh, and a standard that is really very very high i mean we are realists We're people who live very much in the real world. We are very, very serious about building houses. Uh, We're very serious about investing in our health service. We're very serious about uh, investing in communities, keeping communities safe, investing in the Gardaí, investing in our young people and in our communities. We're serious about all of these things. Who's going to pay for it, though? Well, look... The, 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 we're going to run record surpluses, as you know, over the next number of years. We all know that. Uh, we need a government that will very intelligently uh, and very ambitiously invest those monies smartly. Um, everybody listening to this show pays tax of one form of the, or the other, income tax, consumption taxes. And the tax. government tax. Yeah, and the government of the day is then charged with making decisions around how you invest those taxes, how you disperse the resources that we have across society in a way that is equitable, fair, that gives everybody a fair shake of the stick, and that that ensures that people get access to the kind of public services that they need. And that's the case, whoever is in government, where Sinn Féin will come at things differently differently would be a matter of how we prioritize spending and who and what we put the spotlight on. And that's really where the the difference is uh, with us. So th- this notion that that somehow we are, you know, profligate or that we have no sense of how to smartly use or spend money, I, I would just say to you, I cut my teeth as a, a member of the Oireachtas on the Public Accounts Committee, and I can tell you, I know better than most the value of money and spending it wisely and and correctly. As a matter of fact, my my children uh, say to me domestically that I'm that I'm you know at times very uh, overly careful. Um, but I, I just see it as in life that you are smart in in terms of how you use your money. That's no. how you it's, are in in your own life, yeah. and certainly that's how a government has. It's happen.
1: the same old, same old when it comes to upcoming elections. Every single party is going to be prioritising health and housing and homelessness yeah. and 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 the whole deal. Now we've had successive. Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael Labour governments. Um, what, what I'm going to ask, I'm probably expecting a slightly evasive answer here or a slightly politically nuanced one uh, from you, but am I speaking to the next Taoiseach of this country?
2: That will be a matter
1: for the people of this
2: country. That's And that's not a nuance. I'm not being evasive. That is a solid statement of fact. You are speaking to the leader of a party and a team that wishes passionately to have the opportunity to be in government, to lead a government, and to show people not just to talk about it, but to demonstrate to people, um, not just in words and in actions, but then also in results, how things can be different and how a different government, ideally, and I, I think the ideal outcome of the next election would be a government for change without Fianna Fáil or Fine I think that would be the ideal outcome. But I also know That matter is in the hands of of the Irish uh, electorate. Um, So who will or will not be Taoiseach? Who will or will not be in government? These are serious decisions and calls that the people are going to have to make. And I I would just say this. Of course, we're all going to talk about housing and health and all of those issues. At the last election, uh, we were told after that election that this government had heard the message from the people that housing would be front and centre, that they got it, they understood this as now touched, this crisis has touched every corner of Irish society. Generations of people locked out of any prospect of owning their home, of um, uh, affordable rent. Now you have mortgage increase after interest rate increase. We've had 10 from the ECB and the government have been so slow, so ineffective, so out of any uh, new ideas. So we don't want to just talk about the housing issue. We want to roll up our sleeves and do what needs to be done so that finally people can actually see real progress not just listen to endless rhetoric but actually see some light you know coming closer and closer at the end of of the tunnel so i hope and i say this in humility that we will be given that chance and we are going to go and we will we will work as hard uh, as uh, we can we will do everything that we can to inspire a sense of purpose and confidence amongst people because What I would hate to see happen is a a kind of a sense of just, well, you know, sure, nothing can change. And these problems can be addressed. These problems can be solved. But you have to have a government with the energy and the passion and the capacity to actually grab things by the scruff and actually get the work done.
1: Yeah, okay, and uh, just got a text to uh, to say Ireland unfortunately needs a dose of salt, and Sinn Fein may, may may just be that. Can we finish as we started? I know you've got a meeting, and I'm sorry if I've held you a little longer. No, no. no. Um, uh, can we finish as we started on, on on the health thing, and maybe we could transpose the health into uh, across to housing and across to other issues. But uh, but once again, to commend you on on coming forth. Uh, as you did about the hysterectomy and and, and and that serious procedure, I I once did a program here on menopause and hormone replacement therapy, and even though I moderated the discussion, I never learned as much as a man. Can can, can we ask for more of this, please? That that we have experts that that come forth and are honest and and essentially educate.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And listen, I, I, I think we have reason to be hopeful. I mean, I, I noticed myself that certainly that conversation around menopause um, and not just that, but women's experiences of interacting with health services and what that looks like and what that needs to look like has has in fact opened up, has begun to open up in a way that, that certainly I can't recall before. But I agree with you we need more of that we need to have honest um interactions and above all else we actually need to listen to people we need to listen to women in this in this scenario because ultimately those who experience whether it's menopause whether it's the experience of surgeries where you know a hysterectomy or otherwise really are experts in the experience so those voices need to be heard and we need to have the conversations we also need to invest so in in things whether it's in hrt other therapies that are so so helpful to so many women and i know that um medics doctors i'm i'm hearing increasingly you hear public voices coming out and talking about um these parts of people's lives, these issues in people's health. And I actually think that's, I think we've reason to be positive. We've a lot of work to do, but as they say, um, you know, they've got, uh, we, we, we've started, so, so we need to press on with, with that.
1: All right. I'd probably be criticised for not giving you a harder uh, set of questions, but uh, we <laughs>
2: <laughs> next time line
1: ne- them up. Ne- ne- next time, uh, but you're in Absolutely. full you're in full recovery and you're in fighting fit mode anyway. And I we, we we am. we thank you for coming on, Mary Lou Macdonald. You so much. Thanks, million. Thank you Bye-bye. so much. Bye bye. That's Mary Lou Macdonald. Great to speak to uh, a party leader. A certain amount of respect is uh, is afforded a party leader as well, and uh, well done to her for being so open and forthright about everything she's doing. Now
3: the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM.
1: Let's have a quick look at the uh, morning papers. Uh, I won't dwell too long on them because we are uh, nearly halfway into the first hour already. What did TV Chiefs know? Bosses to investigate rape and assault scandal. TV bosses have launched probes into Russell Brand amid claims he raped and sexually abused women. Uh, The BBC and a production uh, from Channel 4, a production firm for Channel 4, are looking into his alleged behavior and whether Chiefs knew about it. A source said the reviews will aim to see if a blind eye was turned to any claims. Brand denies, of course, uh, the accusations. Uh, The BBC and um, the production firm, which is uh, Banajay UK, on behalf of Channel 4, are probing the claims against the presenter. He's been accused of pursuing audience members for for sex while presenting Big Brother spin-off shows E-Forum and Big Brother's Big Mouth on Channel 4. A researcher claimed concerns about brand were reported to managers at Endemol. Uh, Endemol is the uh, company commissioned uh, to produce... Isn't that the one that does the... uh who wants to be a millionaire. Uh anyway, it's uh, it's making a lot of the morning papers uh and we will have a listen to uh to to Russell Brand's own take on what's happening to him as he defends himself uh between now and 12 midday. The budget will offer families more help to buy second-hand homes says the independent front page. The government's shared equity scheme for first-time buyers could be extended to second-hand homes in next month's uh, budget, with Housing Minister Dara O'Brien open to such a move. Uh, Mr O'Brien's come under pressure from Fianna Fáil backbenchers amid concerns that currently no support's available for first-time buyers who wish to purchase second-hand homes despite up to 100,000 being available in grants for new bills. Uh, The government is planning a €12 to €20 pension hike. Uh, The pressure is on uh, them to ease the cost of living. Irish old-age pensioners look set to be handed a pension increase of between €12 and €20 in Budget 2024, says The Sun today. Government TDs have yet to agree on a final figure for the pension rise, but have been informed it will go ahead botulism bar owners face up to five years jail that's the mail today uh, reporting that Bordeaux's public prosecutor's office has officially opened a preliminary uh, uh, a preliminary investigation into how twenty five people some of whom were Irish rugby fans were infected with uh, rare botulism after eating sardines in a restaurant examiner front page has state offering less than half of Connor pass asking price. Elaine Lachlan political editor reporting that the state is still negotiating the sale of the iconic Connor Pass but is only willing to pay less than half the asking price It's a parcel of land in County Kerry uh, high above Dingle and on, on the way down uh, to essentially the road to Tralee past uh, Inch and uh, all of those lovely places. Uh, the parcel of land in uh, County Kerry takes in one of the most uh, it's not Inch, what am I saying It's, it's uh, Inch is on the other side Uh, that's why I was confused the parcel land in County Kerry takes in one of the most panoramic driving routes in the country and it went on the market last month for 10 million beautiful Corrie Lake halfway down from uh, the Connor Pass down to the sea level uh, on the right hand side as you go down past the Connor Pass now RTE pauses hiring Fair City photographer big furore about this last week Backer said it's not possible to commit to giving 240,000 euro uh, well, over a four year period albeit and the broadcaster will continue to cut costs while trying to restore trust. Egg in the face last week as he announced the uh, recruitment freeze they were also advertising uh, for 240,000 gig a tender process for photographers to take pictures on the set of the soap Fair City. That's now been suspended front page of the mail. How 90 seconds of social media wrecks a self image. This is uh, a very Interesting article by the Mail Foreign Service. Women can see their mental health uh, negatively affected by just 90 seconds of watching social media influencers showing off their bodies. Images of toned legs, flat stomachs, full lips and blemish-free faces has an almost instant and detrimental effect on viewers' self-image. It has long been known that images of ideal bodies and faces can cause women to feel worse about themselves and contribute to psychological and eating disorders. But res- uh, researchers from the University of New South Wales in Australia sought to discover if this was also true of exposure to short-form uh, videos on TikTok and Instagram, for instance, and study the mood of 211 women aged from 17 to 28. Appearance uh, ideal content can pressure women to look a certain way that's unrealistic or completely unattainable and can affect their mental health short look at the morning papers
3: get it off your chest call neil prenderville now on 0818 106 red fm
1: 9 30 good morning from the neil prenderville show now guardies say they are increasingly worried about missing man kieran quilligan's safety and well-being the 47 year old has been missing from the city since the first of September. Uh, it's coming up on uh, nearly three weeks now. Yesterday, Superintendent Michael Common uh, made this plea on Proby's Key, uh, where Kieran Quilligan was
4: last seen. As a result of uh, our investigations to date, I'm very concerned for Kieran's safety and well-being. He was last seen here, where we are at the moment, on Proby's Key, going into Saint Finbarr's Place. And we have not been able to locate him since that. It was approximately 9.15pm on Friday the 1st of September. At the time, Kieran was wearing a black baseball hat, orange t-shirt, a blue zip-up hoodie jacket, blue Under Armour tracksuit pants, and black Nike runners. Kieran is described as male with medium build, brown gray hair, approximately five foot seven in height. When he entered St Finbar's place, we cannot trace him from there. My appeal today, firstly, is to Kieran himself. If he sees this appeal, we would ask him to please contact his family, his friends, or on Garda Shikana to let us know he is safe and well. I'm also appealing to any member of the public who was in this area on Friday the 1st of September between 8.30 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. Even if anyone who was in the area feels they have nothing to provide the Gardaí, I want to speak to them. I want them to contact the Gardaí. That's Probys Quay, St Finbar's Place, or 4th Street, on Friday the 1st of September between 8.30pm and 9.30pm. And finally, I want to appeal to any member of the public who can give us any information at all in relation to Kieran's current whereabouts to contact us. An incident room has been set up in the Bridewell Garda station. We would ask anyone with any information to contact the Bridewell at 021 494 3330. And the Garda confidential line one eight hundred six 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 one one one.
1: That is Superintendent Michael Common uh, talking about Kieran Missing Man Kieran Quilligan's safety and well-being. Now I'm not sure what can be added to that, but if anyone can shed more light on it, uh, it's Barry Roach, Southern correspondent for the Irish Times. Particularly worrying times for uh, anyone who knows or is related to Kieran Quilligan. Barry, indeed, Mickey. Uh, very
5: worrying. I suppose what's significant here amongst everything else that stands out is the fact that it's Detective Superintendent so, uh, Commons mostly senior detective in Cork City who's making the appeal rather than missing persons are normally initially investigated by uniformed officers but it was Detective Superintendent in Commons as I state who made uh, the appeal at the junction of Probius Key and St. Place, so um, I have heard him there making the appeal but what's of real concern and he said it's it's growing concern to them Kieran uh, Grigan he left, uh, he's originally from Baker's Road in, in Granborough, but he's availing at the moment of uh, services from Cork, when he left their emergency shelter on Anderson's Quay on the 1st of September in the company of Love Man. Guardian he his movement since across the city from Anderson's Quay, over by the bus office, over to Sullivan's Quay, on the South Channel, uh, then up to the Finch's Quay, Proby's and then he's seen heading up, uh, on CCTV footage heading up Simpsonburg's place just below St. Burst, get Cathedral, there but he doesn't emerge at the other end of 4th Street and that's rough here on quarter past nine on Friday the 1st of September and that's when Gaudi, uh or, or that's when Gardy wants people to contact him about anybody who was in the area at that time it was uh, getting dusky at that stage it would have been the last the, the end of that week of the really good weather so, if that's any reminder to people, anybody who might even come along 4th Street or coming down a Ferry Street, cutting down to the first onto Robbie's Key, uh, it's uh, supposed to be about 100 metres long. But yeah. It's, it's
1: strange, in, if, so if so. not a little sinister, Barry, isn't it, that somebody can appear yeah, entering yeah. an area on CCTV and not exit the area?
5: Yeah, and that's what I think is, uh, Gary, you haven't said this, they've said the treaty is a missing persons um, investigation at this point, but it's extraordinarily strange that. He's not seen emerging at the other end, uh, and there is CCTV footage, I think, covering exits from 4th Street onto Barry Street, on Street and onto Dean Street and onto Barry Street at the other end. There's a main lift there as well that's covered, so there's no sign of him emerging from any of the obvious routes that he should. Gardaí, the, the search team, my understanding, is they carried out a search of the area uh, on Saturday, including in a Derrick and so no trace of uh, Kirling Coligan there, so... Gary, I think, in these situations always know more than they, they say, but certainly they are very concerned. And what's also sort of adding to their uh, fears and their concern is the fact that he was due to collect two social welfare payments in that fortnight since he left or since he disappeared. And they haven't been collected and they're not aware of any other source of income in half. He didn't have a mobile phone with him, so that's no benefit to Gary in terms of trying to track moves and something like that. But the fact that, as I say, he didn't um, collect his social welfare payments or failed to collect those at the GPO on the two weeks since then, is obviously adding to their concerns and their fears for him.
1: Yeah, OK. So they've also spoken to Mr. Quilligan's associates around town, and none of them have seen him, which uh, in itself is very unusual. And of course, at this stage, his family are very deeply concerned for his welfare.
5: Absolutely, and they've spoken to the man as well who was with him in a company over, he's given them uh, uh, an explanation of, as to his last sightings from the war. Uh, but uh, there's an incident set up in room, sorry, set up in the bridge as well which you know everything points towards Guardy being um, very, very concerned for this man's welfare, uh, in the back the detective. Uh, branch are heading up the investigation that somebody's seen as Mick Cummings with make they All that points towards serious, serious concern for his, um, his well-being.
1: Yeah, so, when when you say uh, they, they, they checked Mr. Culligan's phone and found no indication of any activity on no, it, uh, it, it no, no, he, they he can't didn't track, have track that him. phone. Oh, he didn't have it with him? He, had, he didn't have it with him, so that's
5: no benefit to them, as it were. Okay. Um, in, often in these cases, you know, they can trace people by phone movements, but he didn't have his phone with him when he or if he had a phone, he didn't have it with him. He's may be using somebody else's, or I'm not uh-huh. sure on that point, but he didn't have a phone with him that they could actually uh, trace and ping off masks and so forth to see where he went after. He went into St. or up St. street So the phone is of no benefit in this investigation, as I say. They're not aware of him having any other source of income available to him other than social welfare, and he hasn't collected those two payments. So we're talking, he's gone seventeen days, or what do we know? The eighteenth is it, um, yeah. you know, it's over two weeks at any rate. So that's a serious concern to them. Okay. Uh, what else can I say? That, um, you know, they are very much keeping an open mind of what may happen. But as you say, it's it's very strange that somebody will walk into an area, up set of up ten steps, and it's probably about hundred meters, maybe one hundred and twenty meters from the bottom to the top up onto Fourth Street there, and in that space effectively vanishes.
1: And know. no evidence it's of a scuffle or uh, that he might have hopped into thing. somebody's car? Or?
5: No, not that, no, Gardier is saying they have no, no, um, no, no uh, footage of him leaving the area, so they described it at the hmm. other end. So okay. Very strange. Um, but as uh, Nick Cummins said, if anybody has any information, they're more than uh, welcome to our Gardier at the of talking. And people who may, if he said, think they may have nothing to provide to Cardi- Contact them if they were in the area anyway. They may, in the course of uh, conversations or, or, or talking to Gardy, may pick up on something that the person themselves may not think is okay. relevant, but Gardy would know. So, as he says, there's an entrance room in the Bible, and that's on 021 494 So, we're talking about Proby's
1: key up to Ford Street, are we? Up to 4th
5: Street on Simpson Place. Or that general area room there, I mean, come down and take like in a little French's key as well, probably, mm. and maybe uh, Kayser's name. Uh, but certainly, September is the focus of, of the investigation in Kobinski. All right, Barry. D- eight and half nine on Friday, the 1st of September.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll give a description of what I was wearing and I'll give out those numbers again. Thank you very much, Barry Roach, Southern correspondent for the Irish Times. And we do hope that Kieran Quilligan is found safely. Thanks, Barry. When last seen, Hi, Mr. You. Quilligan was wearing a black baseball hat, an orange t shirt, blue zip up hooded jacket, blue Under Armour tracksuit pants. <laughs> and black Nike Runners. And anyone with any information about Mr Quilligan's whereabouts is asked to contact the Bridewell Garda Station on 021 494 3330. That's 021 494 The Garda Confidential Line on 1800 666 111. That's 1800 666 111.
3: Uh, or any Garda Station. Talk to Neil Prenderville now, 0818-104-106,
1: Cork's Red FM. And the program is driven by the public voice, of course. If you want to make your voice heard, 0818-104-106 is our phone number, 0818-104-106. If you want to text by SMS or WhatsApp, it's 086-8104-106, 086-8104-106. Just getting to some of the texts that were uh, left over on what became a very, very busy Friday programme, I thought the LGBTQ group were fighting for equality. Where is the equality if there's a gay bar? Uh, or is equality only when they say it? Uh, another texture says, make I understand it's very distressing and upsetting for a lot of the LGBTQ community not having their safe space to go to and i hope they find a permanent solution however a business can change its policy and the way it's run should not be persecuted and should not be persecuted for this chambers is under no obligation to provide the space for the lgbtq community and can change how it's run at any time The LGBTQ community seem to think Chambers owes them something and are trying to dictate what owners and management can and cannot do in the running of their business. Chambers and Reardons have been great employers in Cork for a number of years. What happens to the staff that work there? Should the place be boycotted? Uh, And as I say, I do hope a permanent solution is found, but I think the persecution of Chambers is all wrong. On the topic of Libya, which we mentioned, of course, that huge human tragedy there. Hi Mick, since you mentioned the tragedy in Libya, It's worth mentioning a few of the things that come under the umbrella of climate change and what caused these floods in the first place. Poorly maintained forests, poorly maintained drainage, poorly maintained dams, poorly planned urban sprawl and of course arsonists. These climate disasters are man-made, all right, just not in the way we're being led to believe, says Richie and Toker. That song was brilliant. I played uh, about a half of Joe South and games people play, and it brought back great memories to Marie and Clon. And one more uh, on the games, two more, actually, on the games and traditions we spoke about. Uh, long gone by in Cork. The older people uh, talking here, saying that their childhood traditions will be lost. Their traditions were new traditions to those a few generations before them nostalgia is great but the clock doesn't stop ticking I remember playing most if not all of the games mentioned in the 90s Uh, that being said it seems to be ticking faster now but it's not wrong that things are going the way of the world not knowing how to use a tablet these days is akin to not being able to read or write before it It's the way it went and the way it's going. Thank God for sports. In terms of evolution, I believe we've regressed as a society. And you can probably blame technology or social media for literally giving everyone and anyone uh, a platform behind a thumbnail. Very interesting text there. One final one. Morning, guys. Absolutely loving this morning show. Listening to the stories from the older listeners. We all need... Uh, is the tonic we all need of a Friday morning and have a great weekend. So there's some of Friday's texts to line one and to Lisa Geary. Good morning, Lisa.
6: Good morning. How
1: are you? I'm good. Now, we had a lot of traffic congestion yesterday on the photo road. Uh, Can you tell me your uh, involvements uh, with, uh, obviously, uh, a lot of uh, car enthusiasts, petrol heads, people who like to see supercars, uh, were congregating on what is a, a charitable event. The Cannonball Run was in Fota, but it wasn't without its issues traffic-wise.
6: It wasn't. It was. It was crazy, to be honest. Um, a lot of people just abandoned their cars on a road that is uh, extremely dangerous at the best of times.
1: So there were cars parked on the Fota Road. On both sides. Both sides. Sites. Yeah. That, that, that's a windy and twisty road, and it will eventually have to uh, have to be straightened, and you know, probably something put across the marsh. There'd probably be ah, objections <laughs> to that too. Uh, but but the photo road is a high-walled road on one side. There's barely enough uh, room for for two cars th- to pass up there in either direction. I can't imagine what it was like with with two sets of cars parked down. Yeah, it
6: it was fedlum to be honest. And, you know, I understand people's anger at it and but there's an awful lot of people I would go to a lot of the cannonballs. There's an awful lot of people blaming the organization, the hotel. Now I agree, you know, maybe there could have been some more stewards and but I have to say as a driver for twenty odd years, you know, I think a lot of the onus lies on the people that abandoned their cars on the photo road.
1: Yeah, I've I've been to previous cannonball events, and there was one when it was um it, what, what do they call that the, the port of Cork Key or whatever they call it, the Custom House, the old yes. the old Wine Bond building, where 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 the Sydney <laughs> marina is, um, yes. a, across from the what was the Sexton basically, and is now uh, is now mostly being redeveloped, and. That being a, essentially a city centre venue, uh, it was thronged, but uh, the, the parking was dispersed in, in into city centre car parks. It seemed to work. You would imagine a place as sprawling as Foto could have accommodated all the cars without them having to park on the photo Road.
6: Oh, absolutely. Um, no, the, we went out there at 20 past 12 and the the one or two car parks in the hotel were full, but a member of staff directed us to... I suppose somewhere that isn't usually parked in but they were allowing people to park in and he was very helpful and from what I could see there was dozens of staff out around the grounds you know, keeping people safe keeping kids in off the road and like I I think they'd done what they could and to be fair it was was the busiest I'd ever seen a cannonball I don't think they expected the crowds and that did turn up to, to yesterday's one But again, I think so much of the onus has to be on. I mean, you, you know, I drive the photo road every day, if not twice a day. And never in my dreams would I think of parking on the photo road. And I think people just came late or maybe only heard about it once it started and just came and abandoned their cars completely yeah, on either
1: side. To be fair, the organisation of uh, the Cannonball is, is very good-hearted and good-spirited. They can't, they can't really be blamed for idiotic parking outside the venue. I don't
6: think so. No, and that's my one point. I do understand there could have been a few things done different and, you know, there'll be lessons learnt by this. But I, I just don't feel that the onus, you know, can completely be on Cannonball Ireland or certainly the, the photo hotel.
1: Mm. And of course, the, the the main problem here is that that is the, the one and only. If, if you know, there, there's a train, fair enough. There's a cross river ferry, fair enough. But but that is the main road artery into an island, which in which what sixteen to twenty thousand people live. Absolutely. If, if somebody yeah. needed to get off that quickly with a heart attack in an ambulance, uh, they weren't going anywhere yesterday.
6: Uh, well, it would have been very difficult. I, it would most certainly have delayed them one hundred percent. Yeah, you know. But again. You know that's a bigger problem that's a problem that the people of Cove are fighting for for years, and this is just another another day another another disaster i suppose that need, that highlights the situation but again, I believe Cannonball ireland and and the photo hotel can't be held responsible for that. The people who parked on the photo road are are are, are the people responsible i mean I love it uh, we went there not extremely early but we, we got there and we were lucky to get parking but if we didn't we would have went home we would not have parked on the photo road
1: yeah but you're, you're probably a local to the Cove area you know, know the I photo am. road pretty yep. well now, to, to, to a stranger who's been on that road for the first time they'll just, just we we'll would just dump it here
6: come back but again common sense you know Common sense would. would I mean, you, know, you know the photo road. Absolutely. Like, nobody with common sense should park on the photo road.
1: Well, no, nobody from Cove probably would, but that's what I'm saying.
6: But if someone is driving and has a license, then they should know whether they're from Cove, Dublin, or America that it's too dangerous to yeah. park on it.
1: No, I'm just, I'm just saying somebody who's not from the area wouldn't understand that it has singular importance for access. They may think there are other roads and we can block this one. That's all I was but trying to can, say.
6: Yeah, but, no, I but, get that, but you can still see it's a horrifically dangerous road. So.
1: But Do you remember when the when the Irish Open was held at, at Fota? Uh, the, the, uh, vaguely. Yeah. the The players had one access gate, which is the main, uh, big access gate. You no, know, albeit opposite a small Tool road, and yes. and the, the the public were coming in through the one that's nearest the water. Shall we say? Uh, okay. n- n- nearest Cove Cross and, and the exit of traffic after all of the, uh, and there was more than one Irish open there, it was absolutely seamless it was very well Garda policed um, but the cars just flowed out onto the uh, Cork Waterford Road and, and were dispersed in their different directions, there was no traffic problems at a hugely attended event, so what went wrong yesterday?
6: Uh, I think uh, majorly, well, I think one of the main problems is that they weren't expecting the crowd. Because, as I said, I've been to other ones even two or three weeks ago. There was another one up in Little Island and um, it just wasn't, uh, the, the crowd wasn't there, you know. The the crowd just seemed to come from everywhere yesterday. Yeah, but that's, a,
1: that's um, different. That's a car meet. That's where car enthusiasts show off their own cars. Uh, but no, no.
6: Th- there was another kind. Can- there, oh, oh, well, there was a different was- kind
1: of cannibal, was there?
6: There was, yeah, a different kind. But it was still, it was still the cannonball Ireland. But I, I just think people, nobody envisaged the crowd that was going to be there number one and number two. Uh, nobody expected anyone to double park on okay.
1: the. Okay. Tell- anyway, tell me about the cars.
6: Oh, they were fantastic.
1: Yeah, I got, I got a pile of pictures, which is about as close as I got.
6: Yeah, they were fantastic, and it was a lovely day, and it was for a great charity, and you know that's why I think it is—it's it, it, awful that that it happened because these charities need to be supported, and they're for amazing, amazing reasons, and I just think that the again the 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 way parking was done was that was what delayed most of the traffic coming out of Cove. Okay, um... it was more coming out of Cove. People were affected. And it wasn't necessarily because of the, the cannonball cars turning into Fota. It was because of the, the, the congestion on the road before you even got to the hotel.
1: OK. Uh, thanks, thanks for that, Lisa. I'm going to talk to, to thank you, uh, Tully Stafford, who's the president of the okay. Cove. Thank you very much, Cove Chamber of Commerce. Morning, Toddy. Good morning. Good morning, Michael. Uh, OK, this wasn't an official stop. Is that correct? As far as, far as I, we were told, it was uh,
0: they were making a lunch stop in Fota. Um, and again, as your previous speaker had said there it's it 's down to bad driving, bad parking and we would ask the question: was there any traffic management plan in place as as you said the, the previous opens there there was uh, the people at cove weren 't weren 't affected whatsoever because it was it was dealt with so professionally and so well um, I mean to say that you had again uh, on the Sunday you had two hour delays from people trying to exit the island. Uh, we are in the fortunate position that uh, the, the ferry uh, the ferry service was, I was jammed one, as well. It, I heard it, it was, but at least that will always prioritise the emergency service. Yes. Um, uh, the, but the inconvenience to, to people yesterday try, trying to exit the island again, no doubt there was people who, who, who were possibly trying to make flights or make train journeys or onward, onward connections. They no doubt were, were severely affected. But again, the, the, the public, the, the the drivers that, that parked on uh, on bends, it was absolutely lethal, highly highly dangerous. No, how how any qualified driver could think that they could park on the bends both sides of the road and the photo road is, is beyond belief even if they weren't local
1: were, were they how were they fundraising yesterday were they doing voluntary donations or were they charging to see the cars was it a corralled off area do you know
0: I, I, but Fota, I believe, wasn't an official stop, so there wouldn't have been a means of of, of donating there. I mean, the the charity, I mean, very reputable, very essential charity. There's no no denying that. But uh, for the I mean, the public turning up there, um, I like presume char- charity charity, you, you can donate online. Uh, they may have had bucket collections. Yeah.
1: But if if they were collecting and charging, it's it's um, you know it's a little more than not an official stop. Uh, they, they, you know okay we 're not doing something formal, but please come and support uh perhaps yeah. i, I, I don 't know
0: I, 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 we we in the chambering cove we we didn't receive any notification of of any such
1: event um, I only heard about it during the week on social media as, as it, it normally is is very well advertised uh, for weeks in advance, but this was just oh oh, the cannonball isn't voted the weekend is it? yeah where'd you see that uh, on Facebook?
0: Again, that's that's the only, I only became aware of it yesterday when I when I do get a number of calls uh, regarding again once again the inconvenience on the road. And we have consistently brought up about the, the need for the new R624. Um, it could be coming up again in, the, in in the coming weeks with Minister McGrath. Um, it, it is at a stage where there there has been feasibility studies done on it. And, uh, Which one assessment.
1: is that? The the one along the harbour is it? The the photo road itself. Oh the photo road itself, okay. Yes. Uh, Yeah. What's gonna happen there? Will it be straightened in a in a new in a new road Um, through the marsh or what?
0: Well, what no, what we have been looking for is is a complete new road. Um, the, the The photo road, as it is, is is no longer fit for- purpose, hasn't been for for many many a year. Um, the The bridge is in excess of two hundred years old, so it'll, it'll be a complete, a complete new access road to, 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 the, to the great island.:
1: Okay, apparently, there was a, an accident there on the Fourth of July that caused the road to be closed for hours and end as well.
0: There, there was, this is consistently happening more and more. Um and we just we, we can't. we we know fifteen thousand people living on the island and there's there's plans, uh, Cork County Council are looking to and develop. And no them. end of they're new housing
1: in. going in there, Taddy.
0: No, no, they're looking they're looking for another seventeen hundred homes on the island. But and Port of Cork are also looking to develop the the, 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 the valley uh, port, uh, the old marina plant. Uh, again, they they can't increase. Well, that makes sense,
1: it has a train link. Um, <laughs> I, I I gotta leave it there. Closing words. Uh,
0: we, look, we We just we just hope that we we get our new R six two four. And again, um, the people, the, the drivers have to take accountability for what they are doing incorrectly.
1: Yeah, and maybe not it's blame bad, the organization bad, right? uh, of the cannonball. Idiotic no. parking on the photo road was to blame. Ex- exactly. All right. Yes. Thank you very much, Taddy okay, Stafford. Thanks, Mick. Thanks, mate. thanks, thanks, thanks you. President of the Cove Chamber of Commerce. Keep those calls coming 0818 104 News at 10 next. Now,
3: the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM.
1: And straight to our phone lines. Uh, Lisa's on line two. Hi, Lisa.
3: Hi,
6: Nick. How are you?
1: I'm good. No, you found a dead dog.
6: I did. Um, It's a bit strange, but it's just in case anyone is looking for a collie lurcher, large black and white lurcher dog, very young. He's on the road between Kilcully and Carrig Navarre, about maybe 900 metres before the back park on the left-hand side of the road. I realised he was there, so I turned and came back, and another lady pulled up at the same time between the two of us. We managed to kind of MacGyver up a couple of joggy bags and plastic things and moved the poor creature into uh, some grass because he was in the middle of the road with a very strange head injury. We weren't sure if he actually was hit by a car. It just seemed to be um, a gaping head wound. Uh, we tried the couple of neighbours in the few houses that were along there, but we didn't get any answer. No, it's,
1: it's not unusual, um, of course, to see a, a dead dog on the road if, if, if that animal no, was, was, was struck by a car. Circumstances, but this, this looked a bit strange, yeah, did it?
6: It did look a bit strange because it was just this head injury. Um, we weren't really sure what had occurred and none of us had travelled out that road unfortunately we'd both just come back it having come from other directions so there was another gentleman came and he very nicely rang a local farmer and asked if it was his dog and he said no but that he would come and the postman (laughs) arrived past but the speed of people there as well we were trying to pick the animal up between us two women at the side of the road and there was cars going over 100 past us wouldn't even slow down it was actually an awful experience trying to do it it wouldn't hurt people out there to slow down a little bit as well but um, um, I just, in case somebody's looking for this poor dog, maybe he was stolen, we're not really sure what happened to him, um, but he's on that road, we didn't really know what else to do, I just wanted to get the word out so that if there is somebody out there trying to get him back, that at least they can go and retrieve him and have a bit of closure,
1: yeah. you know? okay, so uh, what what we hope will happen is, is that somebody will identify uh, yeah. the dog as being their own family pet or whatever. Yes. Uh, and, and and come and do the necessary by their by their, their loved one, their pet.
6: Yes, exactly. Okay. Because we both have dogs myself and that lady started talking. I'm standing with my dog now in the Glen River Park for our morning walk. I'm just off down to tell all my friends because I'm late because a lot of us walk here with our dogs what has happened and a lot of them have fosters and rescues and everyone would be very upset about it. And I also called into the back park. There's some lovely girls there that I've known for many years. um, Giving them a shout out. Even Sarah, fabulous organisation there. My best friend's dog goes there and they do Christmas. And thank you for dogs as well. And I went in case they had known, maybe the owner. So I've kind of exhausted all possibilities myself. But if there is someone out there and it sounds familiar, it's a young um, collie lurcher, all white down the front and then black, very young dog. Um, and he's, he's about 900 yards, we'll say, to the left of the backpack before you come to it on the way to Carrick Navarre. But yes, there was a kind of a strangeness about what yeah. had been done. Um, but maybe whoever owns them could could take that further. But yeah, so okay, thank well, you for
1: you're, you're obviously me to, a dog. To do Helen, that. Can I ask you a question? What's yeah. happening with the price of dog food?
6: Oh, well, actually, it sounds like I'm I'm annoyed for people here. Dog food is insane, but my dog has some uh, stomach issues, so he's had to be on a prescription dog food which was unbelievably expensive but it cost me about 200 every five weeks. So what I've done lately is uh, he's unfortunately developed epilepsy so I'm trying to clean everything up so what I've done is I've put him on um, butternut box and he's thriving on it it's actually costing me less than what I was paying at the vet's but for people that don't have health conditions with the dogs it's, still, it's crazy, it's, it's a huge amount of money to come up with uh, 200 euros every month you know Yeah, it's, I'm, it's
1: I'm not a dog expert by any stretch of the imagination but we have one at home and uh, uh, lately in, in, in the dog's food has been added a spoon of uh, coconut oil and oh. some, uh, I think it's cod liver oil. Uh, right. and This was suggested to to help with the dog' incessant shedding, uh, and it se- it seems to have worked. So yeah, I ha- I've heard
6: that before. Actually, a lot of the people here would have had many more years experience with dogs than me and they cut liver oil as well for their joints and some of their dogs are elderly and they use it and it seems to work a treat.
1: Yeah but I were talking about we were talking about shrinkflation here uh, on Friday and the fact that you might pay the same and get less goods in the bag. Oh yeah. Uh, I I remember the odd time that I'd be buying the dog food. I think it was five ninety five or six ninety five. And and now the same bag is like thirteen ninety five. So that's why I asked you, what's happening with dog food?
6: Well, the prescription diet that he was on, which I kind of had to have him on because it was the only thing that was, I suppose, not having him have an upset tummy. Uh, It was like 86.50 the second last time I bought it. And when I went to buy it the last time, it was gone up to 100 euros bar two cents and nothing. I just was looking stupid. Just seems to be going faster than anything else. Yeah. But I've changed now to butternut box and that's kind of working out slightly cheaper but um, it's crazy. Everyone complains about the price of dog food. So yeah, you're 100% there.
1: I just spotted it. How much? I (laughs) thought that was less than seven quid. Now it's it's just under 14. There you go. Thanks a million, Lisa. Thank you very much.
6: Twice the price. Thank you so much for allowing me to do that. I really appreciate Uh, that. Have a good day.
1: To be fair, you love dogs and just in case somebody is missing at this yeah. one. It's not a happy ending, but at least you might have no, some closure. No,
6: but they might get him home.
1: Yeah, exactly. Thank yeah, you no, very much.
6: Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.
1: Cheers. Bye-bye. Okay. To get to some texts uh, on uh, 0- 086 uh 106. Th- th- there are three that I'll read here. Uh, I'm not inviting others unless, if you wish, uh, you want to text in on the basis that we'll hand those texts. Not for reading out on air but we can hand them uh, directly to Neil on his return but some texts of condolence uh, have come in and I'll read these three and any further ones we'll pass on uh, to Neil Prendival directly I would like to send my deepest condolences and sympathy to Neil and his family and friends on the passing of his dad may he rest in peace says uh, Johnny Bongos Horgan thinking of Neil and his family at this sad time we bought our first bed for our new home in his parents shop Uh, and one more so sorry to hear about Neil's dad it's a very hard time Lost our own dearest dad on the 1st of June last. Very sad indeed. Condolences to Neil and all his family. Any further uh, messages of, uh, of condolence, we'll hand directly to Neil. But of course, talking to uh, uh, any party leader is going to elicit comments. Uh, when you talk to Sinn Féin this is leader, Mary MacDonald, uh, Mary Lou MacDonald, it elicits more than any of the others and of course when you only have 9 or 10 minutes uh, to, to to cover stuff um, instead of 30 minutes when you could really get stuck in as they say and there's going to be people thinking that uh, it was it was all a softly softly uh, but there you go Sinn Féin will flood the country with illegal immigrants then you'll see housing and hospitals full uh, tell her to take the wool out of her mouth ask Mary Lou this uh, if Sinn Féin get in on the next election will they go into government with Fianna Fáil and will they close the country's gates Uh, Is Mary Lou and her women's health issues meant to mean anything to us? I'm thrilled she could afford it but uh, and had time to recover. No doubt fully paid. Is this a sick joke? Stop sucking up to her, Mick. Sinn Féin's downfall will be their stance uh, on open borders. You can never claim to put the average Irish person first when you're advocating for taking in and housing hordes of fake UGs, says Kevin. Mary's money tree is... uh, is out in her back garden. Yeah, right, says another texter. Uh, Ask her about the amount of oil we have off the south coast. Will she give the go-ahead to get it out and down to Whitegate? Another texter says the only leading that lot will do is leading people up the garden path to nowhere. They're all the same. What have they done for the Irish? Absolutely nothing. Mary Lou and the rest need locking up. Have people forgotten uh, what they're doing with our tax money? It ain't going on the Irish, not a penny. Uh, she's a fool giving to anyone but the Irish. I think in uh, two years' time we will make history and have our first female T-shirt. Uh, more and more people are disillusioned with Fall and Fine Gael who have been in power uh, for the past one hundred years, and uh, there are more. Uh, let's uh, uh there are texts on other topics, but let me just finish out the uh, the Mary Lou ones. Hi Mick, I wish Mary Lou the very best. The Fianna Foyle and Fine Gael loop has to stop. It's no good. They have our country ruined. They are complete career politicians. Three Cork men uh, are in the Doyle, and they are useless. Shame on you all. We need a change, a good change, says Shiona. Hi Mick, just listening to Mary Lou on the show. I always used to vote for her party, but will never again, What will never again, as her party and the so-called government are voting to eradicate free speech and allow unvetted men into our country. Ireland first and Irish people first uh, next text says what a load of nonsense she's talking ask her about the migrant crisis ask her the hard questions uh, lads I almost spat out my coffee when Mary Lou mentioned uh, their desire to build houses in all fairness nobody's put up more opposition to the construction of social housing than Sinn Féin says Mags and is there? there's two more uh, Make. do Sinn Féin believe in rewarding people who work hard and get up at 6am 6am to work till 9pm and do they believe we should earn as much as possible for our efforts and be rewarded for working so hard for our families and the exchequer or do they believe that someone sitting back doing very little should get council houses the dole and be gifted my tax money. Pretty much the same text came through to the programme last week. One final short one. Uh, Fair dues to Mary Lou, you wouldn't get the other Muppets on air to be honest so easily. 19 minutes out to (laughs) 10.
3: Talk to Neil Prenderville now, 0818 104 106,
1: Cork's Red FM. And good morning from the Neil Prenderville show. This is Mick Mulcahy at 21 minutes past 10. And good morning to Billy Bryan, who joins us on line two. Good morning, Billy. Good morning. Now, uh, as they say, now for something completely different. (laughs) You are a witch who practices sex magic for maximum pleasure. There is so much in that statement that I'm going to have to ask you to elaborate.
7: Sure, but where, where shall I begin?
1: Okay, begin at the beginning. A witch who practices sex magic for maximum pleasure. Ooh, I climax easily.
7: <laughs> okay, for what it's worth, I just need to tell people that witches are everywhere. We've never really gone away. Um, so it, it, it's not something that's that unusual, you know. <laughs> You'll find us in every part of the world right now.
1: Okay, can you, so let's, let's start here. Can, can you define a witch? Because the stereotypical witch is uh, the cackly, older, wrinkly lady with evil intent, who's out to get Snow White. Right, uh, right. Uh, you know, out, out to do wrong. W- w- define witch well, for is, me.
7: That is quite the cartoonish stereotype that does persist, sadly, to this day. But no, we've existed in some form or another for tens of thousands of years now, throughout human history. Um, that's just that that representation, if you want to call it that, has only been around for some four or five hundred years. But, yeah, again, you find it across different cultures, different religions, and uh what it means to be a witch though is essentially uh it loosely translates to a wise woman, someone who is very good at what she does, whether that's a uh, work or medicine or communing with the with spirits or or designing the future, etc. there there are, there's a wide variety of us out there
1: okay so why why is the word witch and the term witchcraft looked upon so negatively? There must be positive elements to it.
7: Oh, there are many positive elements, but I can, I can deliver an entire workshop on that alone. But I, I will narrow it down to this. There's a book that was published some 500 years ago in the late 15th century called The Hammer of Witches or the Malias Maleficarum. Um, that was, that, that's where all these negative connotations derive from. That was in um, distribution for well over a century. It was the most popular book in the world, second only to the Bible for quite a while there.
1: Okay. Uh, now, you are the founder and president of a non-profit organization, and you're also a, a cafe owner. You're originally from the Cayman Islands, but you're now living in Galway. Um right. uh, And it says in, in, in the little uh, biog I have here, with one of your partners. Yes. Well
7: business partners.
1: Oh, business partners. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me for making that, uh, that 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 assumption there. Now you got into witchcraft uh, relatively recently. Uh, you know, when when you take it that uh, you're 40 years of age, you only got involved in uh, 2019. Uh, how did that happen?
7: Yeah, well, that's quite the story. Uh, well, I've I've always been into this sort of sort of thing, as we put it, uh, since I was a small child. I just didn't know there was a, a, a path one can set upon until again very recently. um actually it was it was around the time I was I was delivering a lot of uh, educational workshops on gender and sexuality um, for years and then but there was this one slide that people would always lean in and focus on, and it was the one that that uh, spoke about uh, representations of gender and sexuality throughout human history and talks about ancient Egypt and Rome and Greece and the like. So I really wanted to develop a whole workshop on that alone, but then I tumbled down this sorry. This rabbit hole that really opened up my eyes to a lot of things I wasn't aware of, and it, it, I didn't realize there was so much overlap between uh, gender and sexuality and, and the like, and mysticism, witchcraft, I and mean, the cult. I, I began to realize that you know a big re- a big reason why people in my community, as in those who were not cisgender or heterosexual, um, are oppressed for the same reasons that witches were essentially.
1: So uh, I feel like I should be giving a, uh, a warning here that if you have young people in the you know listening to the radio that this may not be for them. Um, but uh, I'm I'm encouraged by the fact that as we as we move now to talk about sex magic, uh, where you often lose control of your body uh, and feel as you said like you're being controlled by marionette puppets, uh, that this sex magic does not involve any penetration of any kind.
7: It can, if you'd like it to, but it's certainly that's certainly not what it's all about. No, you can easily practice sex magic on your own without any sexual partners at least physical ones. Um, yeah, it, there's a variety of ways to to uh, to practice it, and we we call it sex magic because it's again tapping into your senses. It's about the uh, it's about manifest manifestation. It's about um, very very similar to the process of bearing a child, except it's not, of course, a human child you're bearing. It's it's bringing your innermost desires to fruition.
1: Okay, uh, I'm. I'm still trying to get my head around what exactly goes on. Is it like meditation? Are you approaching masturbation?
7: Meditation is involved. I would say um, masturbation can be involved. Um, okay, so it's really tapping into not just your spirituality but your physicality as well. It's 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 um utilizing all of those elements of yourself uh, to again, manifest your dreams. Right. Um, so if I wanted to, (laughs) people will, will, will make light of this, I'm sure. But if I wanted to achieve a certain goal in life, right, not something so so specific as a, I don't know, a Ferrari or something, (laughs) people tend to Uh want to wish for Ferraris for some reason. Um, but if I wanted to achieve a certain goal in my life, I would then focus heavily with intent on that goal. I would set, I would set my space where I feel comfortable, where I feel at ease. I wanna, you know, put on music that, that is conducive to that sort of thing. Like to incense, you know, just really get myself in the mood as you would if you were preparing for a, a physical encounter with your partner, right? It's very similar, it's similar to that setup, but you're doing it with a with different end goal in mind.
1: Yeah, but well, p- people often meditate and think clearly and try to manifest things uh, from mm-hmm. the universe. Uh, how does, and why does sex have to be involved?
7: Well, again, I have to clarify, it's not sex in the traditional sense. We're oh. not talking, there's nothing pornographic about it. It's being very sensual, it's being in touch with your your physical senses as well as your social ones.
1: Okay, so... so you can't,
7: you can't, sorry, go on, go on.
1: Okay, so can you tell me a little about the cafe and the fact that you may be looking for a venue for uh, a similar cafe here in Cork?
7: Well, we're currently, we currently have our sites in the venue here in Galway. Um, The cafe itself is, yes, in essence, a cafe. We we will be serving coffee, but there's much more involved there. We're looking to work with local artists, musicians, poets, performers. We really want to bring um, all these elements together, much like sex magic, to be honest. Our tagline is um, where art and music blend with the queer, the mystical, and the macabre. So we're really blowing all those elements into one and trying to create um, a very different experience.
1: <laughs> yeah, we were talking last us, week about um, about uh, what, what the LGBTQ plus community called their safe space in a particular bar in Cork. Right, would, right, So would this be a cafe where witches would have a safe space?
7: I would say so. Witches and, and people in the LGBTQ plus community as well, for sure. Uh, we, we do hope to branch out in the near future to Cork, to Dublin, to Belfast. We'll see where, where it goes. Mm.
1: Uh, re- reading the uh, the, the biog before coming on air, it's, uh, I, was, I was struck by one word here. Billy thinks she has one-on-one conversations with the Mother Goddess. A, there's a subtle difference there to Billy claims she has one-on-one. So you'd think you do.
7: Well, okay, so I did take some issue with that, yes. Uh, I would absolutely claim that I do because I've seen so much evidence of it. The fact that I'm here right now in Ireland is testament to that alone.
1: Why, why is that? Um, because you were in the Cayman Islands.
7: I was in the Cayman Islands. Uh, you know, it was around about the time when the pandemic first hit that I was just getting into my craft. And I had lost so much at the time. I won't will, <laughs> will go into the details now. So, you know, I, I figured, why not just throw everything I have into this and see where it goes? And sure enough, I, it brought me everything that I wished for.
1: Okay, but it, 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 isn't it almost... Like somebody in the Catholic faith claiming to see Our Lady or Jesus or something or being spoken to by that most divine high power. Is, is, it, is it the same here? I mean, I, I, I was reading, you did it by the water. She asked you mm. to take 10 steps forward. Uh, and, and that's how you spoke to Mother Goddess. Well, I, okay, I've
7: spent half my life as a Roman Catholic, so I can tell you that no, it's not the same. Um no, uh, when I do speak to her, she does answer, and in some form or another, whether that's directly, as in I hear a, a voice, or she shows me something. Again, like like what happened in, with the water a few weeks ago, that's by no means as as severe as it gets. You know, I've again spoken about how I can lose control of my body, and I've done this with other people as well, as well who have experienced the same thing. So it's not as if it's all in my head.
1: OK, so in Ireland, we have a very, uh, let's say, conservative attitude uh, to sex. Mm. It wasn't even spoken about uh, 30 years ago. Condoms were illegal here, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> what's it like to talk about sex magic uh, in a country like Ireland? Um, it, have you encountered barriers? Is it difficult? Or are you now seeing with the, uh, the new generation uh, a certain openness that maybe didn't exist here before?
7: All right, well... Let me start by saying that uh, it, this is far from different from what I'm used to back in the Cayman Islands, as in the the uh, the attitudes surrounding sex over here. That that mindset is so prevalent throughout the Caribbean and Latin America, and I I I won't go into too much detail, but I would pin that on the uh, on the colonial era. <laughs> let's say, let's just say let's spell it out the british essentially have brought that that mindset over to the caribbean and it, it remains prominent throughout ireland as well um so i've been facing that that sort of mm, backlash for for years now with the work i do with my own nonprofit we do a lot of uh, sex education as well um so it's it's probably something i'm not accustomed to and i would say yeah, that the younger generation which seems to be our primary audience right now is far more um um Perspective to this this mentality. So, are, are,
1: are you blaming <laughs> colonial, colonialism and the British Empire for <laughs> hang ups on sex both in the Caribbean and here in Ireland? Oh, I certainly am.
7: I certainly
1: am. In what way and why? <laughs> well, well
7: then that, that, that's, that's a more political political conversation. Okay. <laughs>
1: mm. So, you're looking for a cafe in Galway. Is, is, is there one in Dublin? Did, did I hear of one called Dublin Cafe Bloodthirsty?
7: We were looking to set up in Dublin originally. But then we uh, moved our efforts to Galway a few months ago.
1: Okay, and uh, and you you would you would accept Cork if a venue or if the market was here for a venue?
7: I'm uh, sure there's a market in Cork
1: for witches drinking coffee.
7: <laughs> but again, we're not just looking for witches. It's it's a witch themed and a witch um, fronted cafe. But it's not this by no means the only people we're looking for.
1: Okay. Uh, all right it's, it's it's very interesting so you're practicing sex sex magic uh from maximum pleasure and uh, hoping to normalize witchcraft uh, if not in Galway if you're unsuccessful then possibly in Cork with, with a themed cafe uh, and can okay. can people follow you online billy billy brian by the way b r y a n if you're looking online uh where where specifically can, can people see what you do and maybe experience some of the sex magic for themselves uh-huh.
7: You'd have to do a lot of convincing to experience it for yourself, at least with me. But you can look me up online, yes, Billy Bryan, B-I-L-L-I-E, B-R-Y-A-N. Or, alternatively, you can find us or find me under bloodthirsty.cafe.
1: Bloodthirsty.cafe. All right, and once again, it's Billy Bryan, B-I-L-L-I-E and B-R-Y-A-N. Fascinating Mm -hmm. to talk to you. Thanks a million, Billy. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Cheers.
3: Text the Neil Prenderville Show now, 086 8104106. Red FM.
1: 23 minutes to 11. Terry Prone is chair of the communications clinic and a columnist of the Iris Examiner. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Mick. Oh, great to talk to you. It's first time, I think. Um, yeah. d- d- there's lots to talk about. Patrick Healty and his ascendancy to the, the late, late show. Not without a few pot shots coming in from, uh, from left field. And of course, across the water, uh, we have this whole Russell Brand incident, which he's claiming as a witch hunt. Um, but it seems to be getting uh, all of the column inches as well. Will we start with, with Patrick Healty? And I'm 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 loath to uh, as as a erstwhile radio presenter part time to criticise anyone of talent coming on uh, and doing a job for the first time. He was obviously very emotional. I know he got that gift from uh, his two kids and his wife, Kat Dealey, which put him in tears before he went on air. But he cried more at the start than than he did at the end after fourteen years. <laughs> and maybe that's just the mark of a big-hearted man.
8: Maybe it is, but uh, it's not something that he would be advised to do from now on. The thing is, Nick, that the first programme in a series like this, in in a three-year contract, is always, was always going to be exceptional because of the circumstances of Ryan's departure and what happened afterwards and the publicity around, well, who's going to get the gig? All of that meant that this first show was going to be watched. I don't know if the figures have come out yet, but it was going to be watched arguably by more viewers than any other late, late show in the
1: next three years. Except the toy show, maybe.
8: Yeah. I wonder if the toy show is going to sustain. I think the toy show developed an internal myth within RTE, which led to the musical debacle Um but it would be interesting to see if they get more viewers than this this first edition but obviously it was going to be exceptional there was going to be a sense of god he was good and he was quick and he was the monologue was funny i'm interested that you said in your introduction to this that there were Things
1: coming from left field. What do you mean? Oh, I'm just saying. Immediately, we had the you know the we had the couch, the armchair warriors uh, putting putting stuff in um, about how appalling his monologue was. For instance, now I, I fully believe he read the monologue. I, I think he read it too slow, but he he got he got he got certain abuse for number one. Uh, it, there was wonder and amazement that he had the, the, the temerity to tackle his uh, his own brand new employers. Uh, a little bit of surprise that he tackled the previous incumbent on the show uh, ryan Tuberley. Uh but i I just felt it was it wasn 't as natural as he will be in the end
9: oh
8: absolutely he 's obviously going to become more and more comfortable, but the fact is that he 's an experienced presenter he 's an experienced comedian and he has all the advantages of cue and all that that will not save the late late show it's guests that matter in the late late show now they have done a couple of things that are right one is shutting up about who's going to be on before the program actually starts because quite honestly if they had announced the lineup that happened on last friday beforehand an awful lot of people would have taken that as permission not to
1: watch. Yes, I fully agree. Uh, mm. and, and the surprise of who's coming on was always what made people sit down back in the gay born days, uh, yes. etc. So let's get to the elephant in the room. Uh, outside of uh, two Northern Ireland guests speaking essentially about the troubles in Northern Ireland and the way forward, uh, and one band, it, it was, as everybody said, the bookings were made in the RT canteen. Yes
8: it was singularly unfortunate and inadequate in terms of guests. Because when you make a good decision, like bringing on the guests so that it ends up that they're all there together, that's a great decision. As long as they're able to bounce off each other and create fun and and create the kind of warm, engaged atmosphere, or indeed hostile atmosphere, but the warm, engaged atmosphere that Graham Norton does with his people but to bring on people I mean the two Johnnies I'm sure they're wonderful people and the the footballer yeah it was an interesting story but there was never a prospect that a former president of Ireland and those would generate the kind of atmosphere excitement I have been very struck because I've been asking anybody that I thought might have watched the program I've been very struck by the way people described the way they watched it. One person said, well, I was in the same room. And I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? Now it's just something that's happening over there in the corner, but you don't sit down with your copper and commit to it. I mean, in the old days of the Late Late Show, the demand on the electricity grid went up ferociously during every um, advertising break because people ran to make themselves a and um, I doubt that that's happening at the moment. Most people that I talked to were either looking at it to give themselves fuel for their pre-existing rage. They wanted to say something smart hours on X. As Twitter is now known, um, or they were missing, reading, eating something, and just giving it a first-program chance. Mm, I'm not sure that no matter how good he is, no matter how quickly he reads, that's going to be
10: surmountable.
1: And I read your quick email, Terry, that we got in a few days ago, actually, uh, completely uh, before the uh, the the debut. Of uh, of of Patrick Keelty. hi Mick. I want to raise an issue about the late late toy show. Uh, in Gayburn and Pat Kenny's time, it was always more about the toys on the show. Now, since Ryan Tuberty, it's turned into the kids' show. This is great for a few kids with the f- uh, fake posh creepy accents that are on the toy show. Uh, <laughs> or should I say, it's great for their moms? But the toy show should not be about pleasing them. It's about the millions of kids at home watching it. Shock horror. The kids at home want to see toys on the toy show and not kids on the toy show. They do not get their entertainment out of watching other kids on TV. I find it absolutely stupid. Uh, the other area Tupperdey missed a trick on was taking Christmas out of the toy show. The last few years was all about the theme of some stupid movie and not a hint of Christmas feel about it. I'm paraphrasing here because it's, it's, a, it's a big long pricing. And, uh, the Christmas feel and excitement of Christmas songs and Santa uh hats and more toys uh that, that's half of that email but i i, I do realize that ryan turbert had to scale it back during the uh difficult times 2008 2009 um delivered when he started his tenure as uh as presenter that he didn't want to be putting big expensive xboxes uh, and stuff and they'd move to a more simpler time has it run its course Is is it going to continue
8: uh, you, you raised two separate interesting points there, Mick. The first is that um, your your texture makes a fine point about it being about toys in the past. And in Gable's time, Pan Collins searched the world for wonderful toys that engage children but require them to do something, as opposed to the kind of Xbox thing. But the second thing is that the x Expense of the toy show uh, unrelated to the expense of the toys the expense of staging it staging it not just as a way of having kids as stars but having presenter as a star in an area that he isn't a star in that is questionable and I presume and hope that Kevin Backhurst will question it.
1: Okay so it's, it's a, big, a big ticket item when when you start putting up families and uh, obviously kids have to be chaperoned and there's hotel costs, all of that will be looked at to maybe do a, maybe they'll, maybe they'll, they'll do a daytime recording of, of, uh, of a show and send everybody home to their respective parts of the country. Just want to take one call on the issue. Cherry. will you stay with me a moment? John Donovan. Sure. John Donovan, you you always have very um, strongly held opinions and uh, I think you're going to have one now on the Late Late Show, are you?
11: Yeah, well, look, um, it was his first show and um, obviously he was very nervous you could see that now I wasn't impressed with the line-up I must say that and I'll get that in a second Like, now I like the idea that he took to the piss out of RT and told the jokes and everything and uh, I think that went down well with the audience I think it was the right thing to do because if he didn't address uh, what had went before Mick Rice he would be also criticised on that so he was better off to get just out of the way once and for all have the few piss-take jokes and, right, and then move on you know, I, I just hope going forward that they will have more meaty stuff. I would hate it to turn into something like Graham Norton, which is a silly show. And when you turn into Graham Norton, you know you're turning into a silly show, right? And I'll just... I, I wouldn't agree time, with that.
1: I, I completely enjoy Graham Norton's uh, expertise, his panache, his style, the way he can elicit responses from people, the comfort that they feel uh, in his presence. Um, I, I, I think that's what the late, late show is missing, John.
11: Well, I don't know because you see a lot of his jokes are written for him by scriptwriters. I mean, the, the one thing about Richard is, it's totally organic. He's a stand-up comedian, has been for years, right? So the jokes will be original. They will be his own, his own. Did you of like humor, Mary McAleese right? coming on the programme? I thought she was an absolute disgrace, and I'll tell you why. We have had enough problems there, and you've dealt with it in this programme. So, and so has on other shows, right? I mean, as a gas, bullying of referees and intimidation from the sideline. And this woman almost endorsed it. And only for out of her own these once came, only for her daughter reprimanding her and banning her from the sideline, she would still be doing it. This is a former president of the world and almost endorsing bullying and intimidating referees. Where does she get off doing that?
1: Right, I'm. I'm going to have to leave you there, John, and and maybe I'll come back to you after eleven, and and we leave those comments open, and maybe we'll get comment in on them. Uh, but I'm conscious I have Terry Prone on the line. We were to talk about two uh, two things: Russell Brand being the next one. Uh, I I think you'll get some uh, some comments in on that, John. Uh, and it, and yeah. it's it, it's fair enough. She's a very very died in the wool, GAA activist and supporter, and um, may, maybe, yes, she I mean, maybe she yeah, did, maybe she did make light of the abuse you, you, that referees get. Yeah, I thought she I thought did, I, yeah, I
11: thought yeah. it was appalling, actually. Yeah. Out of but politeness, look,
1: I, I'm going to go back to Terry Prone, John, is that alright?
11: Yeah, you can bring, bring me back later on if you want yeah, Okay, yeah, no, problem. no problem, thanks a million.
1: Good man. thanks. Okay, that little aside, Terry, we're back, and we were going to do anything else final to say on the, uh, on the late late before we move on, move, move on to Russell Brand?
8: I'm just fascinated by that last point because I haven't heard it made before. And I'm sure Mary McAleese, because she's such an open person, would listen to the comment and go, oh,
7: hm, okay.
1: Is that how you felt? Mm. I, oh. I, I, I just saw a very, very dyed-in-the-wool GAA grandmother who can't control her emotions when it comes to <laughs> uh, the cut and thrust of the game. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think she'd abuse a referee, but... She, obviously she's been making her voice heard on the sidelines. <laughs> yes. What's happening with Russell Brand? I, I'll, I'll openly admit to not liking him um, since that stupid ridiculous thing he did with um, uh, Manuel's Jonathan granddaughter. Ross, yes. With Jonathan Wass.
11: All
8: right. Do you want to tell your listeners to remind them what he did?
1: Sorry. Um, I, I was talking about Andrew Sachs. You were saying...
8: Uh, Let's just remind any of your listeners who who don't remember it. What they did was they left a prank call on an old man's mobile phone um, saying that uh, Russell Brand had had sex with the old man's uh, granddaughter and saying a whole load of other things too. It was just that anybody thought it was funny is amazing that somebody anybody in authority in the bbc let it be broadcast is startling they then did get rid of russell brand uh, from the bbc but what's come out now is that there were two previous incidents before the uh, andrew Sachs incident one was where Apparently, this man urinated in a studio. The other was where abuse was given to a newsreader. Either of those things would be enough to have somebody cautioned or removed, and yet nothing had been done. So there does seem to have been, particularly during the period in question, a sense that ratings mattered more than standards. And this man garnered and captured attention and therefore it didn't matter what he did
1: yes now russell brand of course has been very fulsome in his own defense he's calling it a witch hunt uh, and kind of claiming the same thing happened to joe rogan and the uh, the big establishment which owns uh, owns big pharma big big movements that oh, own
8: nonsense nonsense i mean just nonsense i don't know if you watched the video that he put up defending himself but anybody uh, from your listeners who's going to should watch it because it is the best example I've seen in recent years and it's going to be taught for years to come in crisis management courses how not to do things because first of all, he comes out with this spew of words including describing the accusations as um, egregious, aggressive, coordinated and baroque Now, Baroque means nothing. It's an architectural style. But the word's fountain out of him. And it's only when you stop and say, hang on a second. Egregious court, yeah, that means that Sunday Times and Channel 4 work together on something. What's the problem with that? Uh, Media outlets are quite entitled to do that. Secondly, he said repeatedly that he was refuting the accusations. And the accusations made in the ninety-minute documentary are grievously serious.
1: He's let's let's hear from Russell Brand, Terry, because great. he has he has quite a lot to say. Uh, on this issue. Uh, Here is Russell Brand.
12: Hello there, you Awakening Wonders. Now, this isn't the usual type of video we make on this channel where we critique, attack and undermine the news in all its corruption because in this story, I am the news. I've received two extremely disturbing letters or a letter and an email. One from a mainstream media TV company, one from a newspaper listing a litany of extremely egregious and aggressive attacks as well as some pretty stupid stuff like uh, my community festival of should be stopped, that I shouldn't be able to attack mainstream media narratives on this channel, but amidst this litany of astonishing, rather baroque attacks, are some very serious allegations that I absolutely refute. These allegations pertain to the time when I was working in the mainstream, when I was in the newspapers all the time, when I was in the movies. And as I've written about extensively in my books, I was very, very promiscuous. Now, during that time of promiscuity, the relationships I had were absolutely always consensual. I was always transparent about that then, almost too transparent. And I'm being transparent about it now as well. And to see that transparency metastasized into something criminal that I absolutely deny makes me question Is there another agenda at play? particularly when we've seen coordinated media attacks before, like with Joe Rogan, when he dared to take a medicine that the mainstream media didn't approve of, and we saw a spate of headlines from media outlets across the world using the same language. I'm aware that you guys have been saying in the comments for a while, watch out, Russell, they're coming for you, you're getting too close to the truth, Russell Brand did not kill himself. I know that a year ago there was a spate of articles, Russell Brand's a conspiracy theorist, Russell Brand's right wing. I'm aware of news media making phone calls, sending letters to people I know, for ages and ages. It's been clear to me, or at least it feels to me, like there's a serious and concerted agenda to control these kind of spaces and these kind of voices. And I mean my voice along with your voice. I don't mind them using my books and my stand-up to talk about my promiscuous, consensual conduct in the past. What I seriously refute are these very, very, Serious criminal allegations. Also, it's worth mentioning that there are witnesses whose evidence directly contradicts the narratives that these two mainstream media outlets are trying to construct, apparently in what seems to me to be a coordinated attack. Now... I don't want to get into this any further because of the serious nature of the allegations, but I feel like I'm being attacked, and plainly they are working very closely together. We are obviously going to look into this matter because it's very, very serious. In the meantime, I want you to stay close, stay awake, but more important than any of that, if you can, please stay free.
1: Innocent, until proven guilty, Terry Prone, but coming out fighting there.
12: Yeah, but fighting uh,
8: things that he hasn't been accused of. Nobody accused him of promiscuity. The, the promiscuity is not the issue. What he has been accused of, let us get it very clear, two things, rape and secondly, grooming a 16-year-old and sending a BBC car to pick her up from school in order for him, at the time, aged 31, to have sex with her. That's what he's accused of. Now, if you think about the clip that you just played, Mick, what you heard was words, 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 accusations and energy, all of the things that he trades on. You heard no answers. You heard him claiming that he was going to refute the allegations He never did. Refute, he doesn't understand. He thinks that just contradicting them in a general way is refuting. No, refuting means disproving, proving them wrong, proving himself right. As you heard, he never, ever went near any of that. The other thing that is truly bizarre is that he put this out before the program went out and before... The Sunday Times uh, did all of their coverage. That is the most bizarre thing ever, because all he knew was the letters of, we would like to let you tell your side of the story, but he didn't know the details of what they were accusing him of. So he, he clearly doesn't take seriously the accusations, the broadcaster, the newspaper involved, or the accusers.
1: Mm. Oh, he's also been accused of uh, pursuing audience members for sex while presenting Big Brother's, uh spin-off shows. Uh, and so there are various investigations going in by these production companies. One of our texters said they're not the police. Uh, have any allegations at all been made or any uh, complaints been made directly to police?
8: No, this is a very good point. Uh, up to now, um, there haven't been. We understand, or at least the Sunday Times uh, says, that something like 15 other women have now come forward. But it sounds as if they would come forward to the newspaper. The newspaper will of course have to push anybody who comes to them uh, towards the Metropolitan Police. And until it's investigated by the Metropolitan Police, due process hasn't happened. But the fact is that the rock slide has already happened. You have a charity that deals with women in domestic abuse situations, which he used to support, severing links with him overnight. You have Channel 4 and the BBC removing every single bit of content they ever had that involved him, including Bake Off. So... Decisions have been made because you know that in a broadcasting organization, when a suggestion is made that content be taken down – there is going to be a lawyer present who will say, oh, Jesus, you can't do that because it defames the person who is in the content. Clearly, that discussion happened. And the Terry, Terry your, your
1: input is fascinating. But as as you well know, I can't crash the news much longer than a minute. And I'm nope. already 40 seconds late. And and uh, thank you very much for coming on uh, and discussing both Patrick Heelty, comedian, and Russell Brand, uh, comedian, if that's the kind of thing you like. Um, but thank you very much for coming on this morning Terry Prone also columnist with the Irish Examiner
3: now the Neil Prenderville show Red FM
1: and just before we go to our phone line some more of our texts on uh, 086 8104 106 12 euro would be amazing uh, for the pensioners but the government has gotten thousands of euro added every year for the past uh, last few years but whoop whoop 12 euro let's go buy a farm what an insult even 12 euro a day is uh, a day is no help these days Government out, every single one of them. and it's 12 to 20 euro per week per pensioner uh, is what uh, we're hearing. Uh, yet to be decided. Uh, on Russell Brand, since when did Channel 4 become a police service? No complaint has been made to the authorities. So why is anyone investigating? Me smells a witch hunt, says Pat. And we spoke about the, uh, the cannonball. The organisation of the cannonball can be blamed. There was no sign warning people that it was happening photo on Sunday was horrible. That lady is saying they couldn't be blamed. They absolutely can. Uh, they would have had no problem getting volunteers to stop people from parking there. It took me three hours to try and get through it on the photo road. Absolutely ridiculous. Even worse, there were kids weaving in and out of the park cars. I have a large jeep and it was extremely difficult to see them. It's their cars, their banners, their responsibilities. That's just uh, bringing us up to date on some of the text. Let's go to line one and uh, talk once again to Deirdre O'Riordan. Hiya, Deirdre.
13: Hello, Mick. I'm back to you again. You're back How to are me. You?
1: Now, just to refresh... I'm great. Just just to refresh, uh, people, yes. you are the mother of Peter, who is in Maui in Hawaii. Okay. Uh, okay. Peter's good. He managed to find a little house for himself. Uh, he he's is. getting there. We spoke about yeah. your GoFundMe. We spoke about the uh, the ESPWA um, uh-huh. funding emergency countries. And, you know, in, in as much, and I don't mean to... I don't mean to cast aspersions on, on the great efforts here. Uh, we, ha- we have more local disasters now. We thought Morocco was bad until Libya happened. But yeah, that that, that doesn't fix things on the ground uh, for the people in Hawaii. One of the most uh-huh. interesting memories I have from talking to you the last time was the suspicion and a general um, mis-ease mis- or, or malaise, hmm. I suppose, with, uh-huh. which, with which white people were held up to now anyway, in, in in Hawaii, can you elaborate on that again? Just for anyone who's listening for the first time, mistrusted, um, I suppose, would be the would be um, the word.
13: Yes, yeah. I mean, um, I suppose the history of it is that the Americans, you know, came in and pretty much took over their land, um, and that's a huge kind of area of discontent with them. They're they're very protective of their land, um,
1: you know. No, and but they needed are... freedom, a big dose of freedom coming in from America.
13: Yes, indeed. Yes, yes. Um, and there are generations, you know, of families there. Um, so, as I say, they're very protective and they're they're just, they're very suspicious of outsiders. You know, um, it's kind of a double-edged sword, really. They're, not that they're against tourism, they, they, they don't like the tourists coming in, but at the same time, tourism is their bread and butter you know with tourism um, the the island would have nothing Um, so it's kind of a bit of a double edged sword Um, they're suspicious of uh, tourists coming in they don't like them kind of flooding in um, but at the same time you know they need their dollars Mm -hmm. because otherwise they wouldn't be able to survive you know.
1: Now you were trying to fill Um, a container Deirdre which seemed like a gargantuan task but uh, I think you managed to do it did you?
13: We absolutely did, and okay. I am just blown away. I mean, it's, it's been four weeks uh, since I spoke to Neil about this, since I put out the, the request for the container. The container, we got the container, um, and John O'Connell from Project Espoir said, you know, this is a 40-foot container, 8-foot wide, 9-foot high. And I said, yeah, yeah. And I came off the phone and my husband and said, have you any idea what size a 40-foot container is Dave?" And I said, mm. He said, yeah, it's the length of the house. It's like a dance hall,
9: yeah.
13: Um, so if you had asked me four weeks ago, could I do this? I would have said, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But you have done. Um, but we have. We absolutely have. And it's all down to family, friends, neighbours, Just the general public in Cork strangers who don't know me, who know nothing about me, and have just literally come out in their hundreds. Their support, their generosity has just been astounding. And has any Um, of this been relayed
1: by Peter on the ground in Maui to any of the locals there that you're trying to help?
13: Yes, 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 it has. And... uh, I was talking to him last week and he said, great news, Mum. There's a brewing company in Maui have offered um, articulated trucks free of charge uh, to collect the stuff from the container. Um, There is a charity will receive the container, which means they won't be paying poor taxes. They won't be paying excise and custom uh, duty on it. And uh, they're they're just blown away. Like, they, they just... Cannot believe this because the support that they have gotten on the ground from the American government, unfortunately, has been minuscule. They've been given. Not everybody you had to qualify uh, for a one-off payment of $700. Mm. That's
1: pretty
13: much what they've gotten. You've
1: now got to ship the container, of course, and that's not without cost.
13: No, it's not, no. Um, So the original cost was $15,000, Project Espoir, very kindly negotiated it down to nine and a half thousand. Um, but because they ship primarily to emergency aid countries, that's countries that qualify for emergency aid, um, Maui doesn't because it's it's governed by America. Um, so unfortunately, they're only able to give like a token amount towards that. But the good news is we're down now to three thousand. We're just short Three thousand euro, which again is just phenomenal. So we are appealing to the businesses really out there because I just feel that's a lot of money to be expecting. You know, individuals. I would love if some company or companies came forward. Three companies of um, the
1: grand each would would do it, or three, six exactly, companies at five hundred exactly. each
13: exactly exactly yeah Yeah. but we're kind of coming down to the wire now because it's being loaded Saturday Sunday Monday it's going to take three days to load um, and then it will be on its way so we're, we're really really at kind of put to the pen of our collar here trying to um, trying to how long, how long is it going to take to you know?
1: get to Hawaii uh,
13: 60 days
1: 60 days you know what your biggest problem days. is going to be what there's been very little rainfall in Panama and uh, they can't fill and empty the locks fast uh, fast enough to because you you rise up from uh, the Atlantic and you exit the Pacific at you know back at sea level again. Yes, yes. Um, th- there is a huge backlog of ships. where there's normally about oh, sixty okay. ships a day. It's about one hundred and ninety ships now waiting to wow. get through. It's going to cause a huge delay in okay. in the yeah just. Just I know that from just from the uh, just from the reading the papers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wonder yes. I wonder Will you be prioritized because there's uh, there's aid on board.
13: Possibly, possibly, but you know what if it got there for Christmas wouldn't that be amazing? Yes, you, know, you know that would be an amazing. It's amazing
1: lack, lack of rainfall in Panama and you're trying to help a fire stricken uh, island <laughs> in, in in Hawaii. How oh, ironic. Um, How oh, so ironic is that. We're still looking for 3000 and that's just uh, everything's done the containers packed. Yeah, uh, it's it's leaving one way or the other, so you're gonna owe the money. Exactly. So you're gonna exactly. you're gonna need six companies at five hundred or three at one thousand. Yes,
3: um, yeah, would be amazing.
1: Uh, and everything uh, is covered and, and Cork comes up smelling the roses for their wonderful uh, generosity.
13: Unbelievable. I just I cannot thank people enough. And can I just see that to anybody out there who has assisted, if you ever find yourself in a similar situation, and I genuinely hope you don't Please, do not hesitate to reach out to Pat and myself, and if there is anything that we can ever do to repay you in any way, shape, or form, the radio station has our contact details, please, please get in contact with us because every single one of you has been absolutely just astounding i i, I don't I don't even have sufficient like vocabulary really to cover. You know, the depth of our gratitude towards. Uh, If companies want to get
1: in touch, Deirdre, how how do they get in touch with with you directly? They
13: can get in touch with me. I have the bank details. Uh, This money will go directly into Project ESPA's bank account. It's nothing to do with me, it doesn't go through me at all. Um, I can provide the bank details. They literally just need to deposit the money into the bank account um, for the project. Um, Okay. And that would be super. That would be really,
1: really good. Brilliant. Let's so, hope it rains in I'm Panama. Confident. Let's hope the backlog is cleared <laughs> in the Panama Canal because you need to get through that to get yes. to Hawaii.
13: In, yes, yes, yeah. And let's so, hope you get the I, three grand. We will. We will. We absolutely You know will. you will. I you will. I know I will. I know I will. I have every confidence because... As I say, like, if you had told me a month ago that I would have filled a 40-foot container, I would have said, absolutely not. And we've done it. We've absolutely
9: done
1: it. Well done. done great, it. great achievement, Deirdre. Super, uh, regar- regards to Peter in Maui, thank doing so, so much, much, much. good. He, he, must be gotten, he must have gotten that from his mum. You're doing the good work here. He's doing the good work over there. So, well done. <laughs> over
13: there, yes. Can I just thank the radio station? You guys have been amazing. It's that our pleasure. That. Our pleasure to help. You've been amazing. You have just been so supportive. I could not have done this without you. You've been amazing, and thank you, thank you so much, everybody, everybody. Thank you.
1: A little bit of public service broadcasting on our behalf, then, huh?
13: Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Tune into Red FM. Yes.
1: Thanks a yes. million, Deirdre. Good thank morning to you, Deirdre O'Reardon.
3: Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Talk to Neil Prendergast now. 0818
1: 104 106, Cork's Red FM. Monday morning, 11.22, back to Russell Brand and Column. Uh, joined us on our WhatsApp line. Might be a little delay here, but the quality should be good. Good morning, Column. Morning, Mick. How are you doing? You well? Good. Another mainstream media journalist acting like judge and jury, you say. Elaborate.
14: Um, yeah, uh, Russell Brand is, uh, let's say, a voice... You know, for questioning the narrative, and it just seems very convenient that all of a sudden that he's been attacked left, right, and centre in, in this new documentary. Uh, none of those ladies, uh, let's say, identified themselves during the documentary. Yet we have um, Terry Prone coming on and basically accusing the man uh, without any due process or anything like that. Well, um, well I, I
1: we was, had a, we, there there is no there, there are no complaints to police. Now, can, can we just look at one thing here? There are three separate investigations going on, apparently, in in into Russell Brand's alleged conduct. Did these three investigations are simply media organisations covering their own butts, covering covering their own behinds? Because you know we've seen what's happened in the past. Uh, you know, with the with, with the other scandals, some of them more serious than others. Uh, regarding presenters on TV and if if fault and and the finger of blame was to be pointed it's that they didn't investigate in time or take the allegations seriously in time but as yet there is no complaint to the relevant police authorities in the UK and as such you know the smell of a witch hunt is 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 emerging here i think
14: yes absolutely it's actually uh, from another media, mainstream media journalist jumping on the bandwagon. Uh, Russell Brand is over six point six million followers on uh, on YouTube, and I would encourage your listeners to actually uh, listen to his channel and actually figure out why there is a witch hunt for him, because um, he does speak. Uh, he asks, he questions the narrative in a very frank and, let's say, educated manner, um, and. All he does is is that he just questions why in wars why do certain companies make massive amounts of product uh, or uh, profits? Why during the pandemic pharmaceutical companies are making massive money? Um, you know, and basically once they're making massive money, they can control uh, what's going on. So you know, it's very refreshing to listen to somebody like Russell Brand, and um, you know, for people to actually get another side of the story and question the narrative that they're being fed by the mainstream media. Um, this lady, Terry Prone as well, I'm not sure how often she's on the Neil Prendival show, but was she on when Jeffrey Epstein was, uh, the documentary came out about him, where there was actual ladies on that documentary that came out and made accusations against uh, various politicians, uh, various people that Jeremy Ep- uh, Jeffrey Epstein was uh, involved in, his island, but not a word about that because uh, you know that's not in the in the mainstream media's uh, benefit to to go after someone you know people on that list to, who were involved with Jeffrey Epstein. So it's just down to Russell Brand, uh, an easy target. Oh, I, I, um,
1: I, I have I, to I have to balance what, what I said uh, just before you you made that statement there. Uh, there are allegations. Nothing has gone to the police yet, but these allegations are very serious. Even if no. Uh, charges have been brought forward. One is the testimony of a 16-year-old girl. Uh, So I'm not trying to cheapen the fact that there can be nothing here because nothing has gone to the police. they are still very, very serious allegations.
14: Yeah, look, again... You you can go. There was very serious uh, allegations regarding the Clintons or during Jeffrey Epstein and uh, uh, being on his island. Various very rich people going to that island, all covered in the documentary. But was Terry Prone giving out about them? Um, the double standard is um, is clear to see. And um, you know you're right, absolutely right. If there's if there's a, a question to be answered for Russell Brand, I'm sure that he'll uh, he'll stand up and he'll. Um, He'll have to have his day in court, I suppose. But like you said, there is no, there is no police complaint, um, and yeah, it's mean, just how should he, I say, he the was, timing.
1: Is- he was once a sort of a liberal lefty, wasn't he? And he's made a transition across to the like the alt-right or the far-right. He, and he seems to have done it seamlessly. He's maintained his and grown his audience uh, while he's done it. I watched him one night hijacking the Bill Maher show, but it was really a very quick read of uh, you know I'm uh, of being pro-Putin, anti-vaccine. He listed off a whole load of things uh, before Bill Maher got a chance to stop him. But he got he got his point across. To be fair, yep,
14: I, um, and and that's the thing. He's a he's a very eloquent speaker. I think yeah, very well educated. There's,
1: there's no uh, doubting his a, his education and 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 his uh, vocabulary range, uh, and his deployment of that vocabulary is exemplary.
14: Yeah, and and again, that's the thing. That's what uh, you know why so many people follow him. And um, again trying to get to the bottom of, you know, like your own opinion and um, how you feel about different things we are being told in the media. Obviously, the carry-on that's happened over the last few years in the media has kind of left a lot to be desired. And, um, you know, Russell Brand is challenging that not only in Ireland, in England, in the UK, but also in America, Canada, all over the English-speaking world, let's say. And uh, he's a breath of fresh air and... The establishment don't like that. Yeah,
1: okay. They don't
14: like the fact that uh, he's, um, he's he has so many following and this is their attempt to cancel him. And look, if he's guilty, he's guilty. But, uh, you know, it's just a bit convenient that uh, those opinions or, or let's say this documentary in inverted commas has come out uh, with people who haven't identified themselves. Um, you know, there's no police report yet for Jeffrey Epstein, the, okay, uh, his we, documentary,
1: we've we've, we've covered uh, that. We've covered that. Column. One of his victims was asked about Brand's denial of the allegations. Uh, Alice said, "I think it's insulting." It's uh, laughable he'd even imply that it's a mainstream media conspiracy. Conspiracy. He's not outside of mainstream media himself. Alice also said that uh, Russell Brand's YouTube channel allows him to talk about conspiracy theories and frame the allegations in those terms. She said, I think he was building himself an audience for years that would then ha- uh, then have great distrust of any publication that came forward with allegations. He knew it was coming for a long time. What would you make, make of that?
14: Well, it's, it's it's funny then because if that's how you feel about it for the last, you you know, thinking that that's what he was building up to. Why didn't you go and why didn't you go to the police and make a statement about what had happened? Uh, what had happened to you? And listen, I'm not. If, if something has happened to that lady, then you know that's not for me to say. Um, uh, if something bad has happened to her, that's down. Uh, that's a, a judicial matter, let's say. But I, I, I really don't understand if he has done something terrible. Uh, there has been a lot of publicity regarding, uh, you know, minors and let's say paedophiles and stuff like that. And if he had done something wrong, that lady should go to the police. It's as simple as that. It shouldn't be coming out in a documentary from Channel 4 or whatever like that, that somehow they've tracked down someone that's willing to make a statement, mm-hmm. um, but not not willing to go to the police. Um, so, you know, in, in our democracy, we're innocent till proven guilty, and Russell Brand is exactly uh, entitled to uh, is that, entitled that to those presumption uh, of innocence, yeah. Rights as well, you know. So that's it. If the lady has something to say, she should go to the police. Until that time, then you know it's uh, it's just a witch hunt.
1: Yeah. All right. Very good articles on Russell Brand today. Suzanne Moore's reporting in the in the uh, Independent, and there's. Uh, it's in all the papers actually Irish Daily Mail has TV panic stations at Russell Brand Storm uh, we'll see where it develops Column. thank you we, uh, th- that's a Spanish number where do we find you?
14: Uh, well I'm in France at the moment fr- I talked to you I talked to you a few months ago on uh, on another topic about about the uh, uh, inflation and stuff like that but uh, I'm down in Bordeaux working at the minute
1: ok ok and you didn't uh, get caught up in the whole botulism thing no? Well, I'm, I'm at work, but I got caught up going to the
14: stadium thing with, uh, with the problems on the trams over here. But uh, thankfully, no botulism. Uh, okay. I, I, I can manage getting stuck on the tram. The botulism might be a different story, <laughs> all right, you know?
1: All right, Colm, thanks thanks for your input to the programme this morning. Thank you. All right, cheers, Mick. Good cheers, luck. bye-bye. Uh, serious allegations against comedian to be investigated, says the Irish Independent Today, Channel 4 a production company, uh, Banajay UK have launched separate in, uh, internal investigations into allegations of serious misconduct against Russell Brand, while the BBC said it is urgently looking into the issues raised. Uh, the comedian has been accused of pursuing audience members uh, for sex while presenting Big Brother spin-off shows E-Forum and Big Brother's Big Mouth and Channel 4, while other allegations relate to when he was on a radio uh, radio um, set of gigs as a presenter for the BBC uh, these claims were made uh, I wonder how all these claims are coming out together uh, in which uh, these claims in which four women made separate allegations of sexual assault and uh, if you want to uh, call or comment our phone number is 0818 and by text 086 8104106. It's 28 minutes to 12.
3: The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 104106.
1: Many topics. Yours are welcome as well. And if you want to use that phone number, please do or text us. though. Now, local residents have come together to try and preserve a recreational area they say has been there for the people of the Northside for over 100 years Murphy's Rock was once dubbed the Riviera of Cork by comedian Neil Tobin. And there's a danger now it may be developed on for housing with the Land Development Agency now taking the land off the IDA Where while the council want to buy more land to develop a separate park. uh, Now uh, our producer Kevin walked the area with local activists Peter Horgan and John Paul Murphy who was a direct descendant of the family that owned the land originally uh, but first, he heard from the chairwoman of the Murphy's Rock and Bride Valley support group, Joan Sutton.
11: Where other people went down to Crosshaven uh, or down to um, Yall uh, at the drop of a hat because they might have had cars and so on. We used to actually to go to Murphy's Rock, and um, like that to us was it was the, uh, the Riviera. <laughs>
10: Two years ago, we found out that it be developed. And um, just then we set up... We started setting up committee and talking about it and what we do. And um, there's an awful lot of history attached to Murphy's Rock.
3: Mm.
10: You have the old mills that you can see from here, mm. right? And then you have the foundation of the RIC barracks. It's still there. Mm. There's an awful lot of history. And we don't want any development here because... I think that it's the only piece of wilderness left in Cork City. Mm. If you go to any other side of the city you now, I know you've been and colleague and all that, but it's not the same as this. Mm. You know, this is this is just wild, and mm. that's the beauty of it, mm. right? If it was a fine day, now you could see Shandon and the North Cathedral from here, mm. right? As I say, right, we don't object to houses. And all through the years, any estate that went up or anything, we never said anything, and we allowed it to happen, but this is different. Mm. This is something we have had forever. And it was actually here since the ice age,
3: yeah.
10: Morpheus Rock. Mm. So to come in then and put housing in here and put a park up in Rathcooney, buy agric- ag- agricultural land for a park when you have it here already.
15: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, So they, you've been told that there will be a green space in another site. Yeah. So this, is, this current site is being developed on there's going to be more development kind of across the old Dublin Road but then further on beyond that they're going to allocate space for a park when they're building on what is already a a kind of recreational area
10: they want to buy agricultural land up in Rathcooney and uh, put a park up there and put the housing here Hmm. which makes no sense why would you do that why would you spend money on something you already have here
16: The area was owned originally by my grandfather Mm -hmm. who had a farm here and farmed from I think around the 1920s right through to the farm was finally sold in 1978 to the IDA okay. um, by my uncle and he moved then up to, up to Kildare.
15: even back in the 1920s was it an area that a lot of people locally would have gone to to kind of relax
16: and there was even something we found there uh, uh, an article about my grandfather's brother the late father of Lynn whose bust is in um, Passage and was involved in in creating the Loft Theatre in in Cork and and whatever so would have been significant figure in 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 the history of of Cork and and so on and he organised meetings in in Murphy's Rock so. People came out here on a regular basis to, to meetings. There were all sorts of bits and pieces happened out here. It was, like it was a common area. Neil Tobin in in small bit of a documentary film that uh, Joan was able to share called um, "It's the the Riviera of of, of Cork," sure, yeah. the north side of of Riviera Cork, the north side.
15: And yeah. I suppose, um, how do you feel now, knowing that this land could soon be a big housing estate, and that I suppose generations to come won't be able to enjoy the same experiences
16: that you did. I suppose I'd be disappointed for for the generations to come, as Peter said. Housing is critically important. But there's a, an enormous amount of development in Blackpool at the moment. There's an enormous amount of development over on the Ballyhooley Road um, and Balavalan. Where are these people going to exercise and enjoy a bit of nature, which... If this area is kept the way it is, we'll be on their doorstep. There's a huge uh, discussion at the moment about sustainability, um, about the issues that transport are causing. So people are being encouraged to walk, uh, use bicycles, use public transport. You want to discourage people from using cars or having to use cars to go to areas to exercise. Mm. And so because this place is uniquely on their doorstep, it's ideal, really, for, for that purpose, for, for people to be able to wander in nature and enjoy the local area and, and the beauty that, that we're surrounded with. You can see the, you know, where the river
0: goes up there to uh, Kilcolly Bridge, yeah. and it goes down along here, the valley goes way down. And off down to into Lownhamuk, yeah, and on into into maybe Blackpool from there. Like yeah. And that's the River of Bright. River I'm Bright. Saying, yeah. River Bright is right. Which yeah.
15: is obviously very prone to flooding. <laughs> As we know, so yeah. I suppose this would be a big soakage for that it would. major. Right. Yeah, this is this is uh, like it is.
0: the fact that it isn't developed,
15: and um,
0: yeah, it can it can t- it holds an awful lot of water. I'd imagine you know what I mean when the heavy rains come, you know, and it doesn't allow it to kind of go all go down in one sweep down into Blackpool, you know. So it's doing an awful lot of work for the Blackpool region, is right. You know what I mean, and for flooding in that area, you know.
15: And where would be your? Apart from here now, if you wanted something similar to this, how far would you have to travel? There's there's a blank path below, right? Yeah. I would say, though, that's probably, well, I suppose that's kind of quiet, right, but it's still not... Oh, for, for quietness, for this yeah, kind, for this oh. kind
0: of. Oh no, you wouldn't get that below in the glen. No, 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 no. no,
11: no. Um, God, where would you have to go, jean Paul? Oh, God, I don't imagine. I know toward yeah.
15: yeah. What have yeah. local um, councillors told you? What have the city council told you? Have you been able to get any information further on what might be planned here?
10: No, 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 not really. Now, the one person that really supports us all the time is Oliver Morne. He's been very good to us and very
15: supportive. And you had, obviously, you have City Council out here as well, right? Yeah,
10: and I had the Lord Mayor out. I had Anne Doherty out and Fergal Reedy. They all came out and looked at it. And the councillors, now, they would be in favour of this being left as is. Okay right but it's the um, top press inside in Cork City Council
15: what have they said to you?
10: they want to develop here and buy agricultural land up in Rathcooney.
15: okay uh, after I suppose because obviously the chief executive has been up here herself yeah did you speak to her after that visit? We did. And what did she say?
10: That's what she told I said, what's going to happen with Murphy's Rock? And she said, that'll be developed, housing going in there. And we're going to buy the um, land up in Rathcooney.
15: Did she give you an explanation as to...
10: No. We'd like to see now people who have a wheelchair or have difficulty walking. Mm. We'd love to see them having a chance to come in and see the beauty of Murphy's Rock. Mm. Right. And um, as I say, there's an awful lot of history attached to it. And if they decide to uh, go ahead with the development, they'll have a very, very strong fight from us. I can assure you of
1: that. And Kevin Galvin, who uh, made that report, uh, joins me in studio. What's your sense of uh, what's going on here? Is is it a futile attempt to stop certain development?
15: Or will people power win in the end? Yeah, I mean, look, do you always have um, pushback to development. I think that's just normal. There's always a certain amount of not-my-backyardism. Um, but I think in this case, what's strange about it is that, as you heard in the piece, the idea is that they're going to buy land you know, up in Rathcuni and they're going to develop on that instead they're going to put a park on that and then develop on land that's already kind of recreational Where land you have a natural park anyway yeah so it just it just seems strange to me that the council like there is a, there's a lot of history behind it you heard Colm Tobin talking about it there it's obviously massively well beloved by the people in the area and um, it is a beautiful like piece of land, and you can hear in the piece how quiet it is. It's very tranquil. It's very quiet. It's just outside of what's a very busy area in yes. terms of Blackpool getting more busy. So it just seems strange that the 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 decision is being taken to move it away and develop on that. We heard also about the soakage issue. You know, we know about flooding in the River Bride and Blackpool, and it seems strange that the, that would be a major soakage kind of water basin for that river. And if that's developed on, that takes away a lot of that as well. So. It just seems strange that they wouldn't keep Murphy's Rock as a recreational area and use the you know intended land to buy to build on that. They're saying that will cost them a lot more, but it's government agencies buying from government agencies. And it might,
1: it might just be another park for, further out in uh, in, in Rathcooney that'll eventually be surrendered to housing. And
15: it, and, it, and it doesn't really have any heritage or history to it. It yeah. seems you know in Cork we're all about trying to keep our heritage, and Murphy's Rock is a big part of that. So.
1: Okay, and thank you for setting up the uh, the calls here. John Sutton uh, was on that report. Uh, Joan, the heritage, the history there. Do you think he'll save it?
8: Oh yes, without any doubt, we'll save it because it, uh, they've tried things there before, and um, I don't know whether you're aware of the fact that the European Union were called in at one stage
6: to Murphy's Rock. So yeah,
1: Joan, can, can I make really? one? Can I make one uh, confession here? Un- mm-hmm. until this morning I thought Murphy's Rock was a pub that served a great carvery I didn't even realise oh, a
8: lot of people think that yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so
1: but it's, it, yeah. It, it, it's it's more than that to you guys
8: oh yeah I mean what will I say down through the generations I've, I'm after repeating so many times that it was just our place to go Murphy's Rock a safe place to go we weren't far from home and um yeah with beautiful um, memories of Murphy's Rock. And even to this day, sure, it's being used. And um, anyone who wants to walk down there or anything, they're free to come. And um, we have all the wildlife then as well. We have the bats and, you know, the foxes and the badgers and kestrels and all different types of uh, wildlife. So, yeah. Yeah, that's... We,
1: the, the, the wild animals—that—that—that's—that's that's one angle, I suppose, that that people have used before to, to retain places as as places of natural interest. But you, you've yeah. actually gone to the EU for special conservation consideration, yeah?
8: No, oh, yeah, we'll be doing that. We are going there, and um, we are um, trying to set up a meeting and meet with the um, with the uh, MEPs in okay. our area. Okay. You, you've,
1: you've been over there before, you'll go back again. Stay on the line, Joan. I've got Oliver Moore and Green Party Councillor on line okay. one. Mo- morning, Oliver. Morning. How are you keeping? Oh, very good. Now, bring us up to speed on the development plan, which has identified Murphy's Rock in one particular way.
17: It, it has, and all credit has to go to Joan here in this because, like yourself, I, I must confess something. I had never been up to Murphy's Rock until about 18 months ago when, when Joan took me up there.
1: Right, well, um, I've, I've, I've yet to go up there. What, 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 what did you think of it?
17: It's, it is out of this world. It genuinely is out of this world. It, it's like when, when Joan and everybody else is emphasising the wildness of it and that heritage of it, that's what's unique about it. And I, look, the, I, I, I hear what Joan is saying about the other proposal for a, a, um, a regional park closer to Rat Cooney, Glenmire. That's kind of area. It's not one or the other because Murphy's Rock stands on its own two feet as something unique in the city to be preserved. And it was after that um, I mean, when I saw it, I was blown away and I went back to to, to officials inside uh, in, in Cork City's City Council. Um, and it literally, you know, everybody who went up and saw it, it went from not being mentioned in the development plan to being recognised among literally the top tier of what's called green and blue infrastructure in the city because of its violence, because of its importance, importance for nature and because also of, of that heritage value as well, that it, it, its social place. So credit has to go to Joan. For bring me up that time about eighteen months ago, walk me around, because that put it into the development plan.
1: Now just just to put that in layman's terms, the, the development plan, which has identified Murphy's Rock, among the top tier of natural sites to keep as a natural amenity, will yep. also, by its nature, put requirements on any development in the area to support that goal. So
17: that's right. So 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 there, there's the valley itself, which I think is is firmly preserved but then as as you go away from the valley towards say dublin hill and that's where you come into conflict with areas that that are zoned for development uh now what i said to Joan when when we were talking about this about a year or so ago it's land development agency so one they're they're probably more responsible than if it it was a private developer in terms of preserving whatever's there at the same time the Land Development Agency hasn't developed an awful lot, despite their name. Uh, so I, I think it's still up for debate. Um, and any any application to develop, even on that area towards Dublin Hill, would have to go for planning permission. Okay. And that's when, I think that's when the debate really would start to happen. About At what point are you encroaching in on, on Murphy's Rock? And what's our vision for the wider area?
1: All right, to give us some more on the history there, and there's a load of it apparently, is Finbar Bevan. Stay with me there, Oliver. Thanks. Uh, Finbar Bevan, uh, in Hello, you come.
9: Sir. Good morning. I, I actually had no intention of coming on, but I just couldn't leave it go. When you mentioned one of the most pleasurable occasions of my life as a young lad and all my friends, Muffy's Rock was on the outdoor, 10 minute walk off from where we lived, and we had a swimming. But I mentioned there that. There's a, I wanted to do a real survey of it because there is a particular bogland there. And we used to have fun running through it in the summertime to see who goes through fastest. And you come out covered in mud, but the river was next year, so you went swimming then, you know. But I, I, I hope to God they don't touch it, that generations of people had their summer holidays there. Uh, you take a summer day, a good, lovely summer day. You had lines of families down, down, all sitting down, all having their snacks, their picnics and all that. And I go swimming, all free. Everything was granted, just perfect. I would hate to see that go. On.
1: Yeah. So it, it it was held privately and then sold.
9: Um, yeah. I, look, there was no one ever ever stopped anyone from going in there. The gate was there. You walked through the gate. You passed the um, the old barracks, and uh, for some reason we used to believe it was a mill. One time I don't know was it thrown out because there was a circle stone outside the mill. And we thought that would be useful for, for for grinding the, the corn. No. You know, but anyway, it was, it was just so easy and so enjoyable. You could spend the whole day out there.
1: And do you, th- do you think the, today's generation would enjoy it as much as you you did?
9: No, no, but I would still love to go out there like, and walk, you know, for memory's sake. But um, it, it, it would be, listen, you won't get this natural, I mean, mm. you will not get it anywhere else in Cork City.
1: Okay, and if it's, it's built like on once, so it's gone forever, of course.
9: Well, it has gone? That's gone, and it's a ter- it would be a terrible, terrible pity. I would say that if anyone who makes a decision to build houses in it have no memory of the place, so all they're seeing is house. Put houses in there; there's profit to be made, yeah. and that's all that's happened.
1: All right, Fimber. Thanks, thanks very thanks much again, for that. Thanks again. I, I, I cut Joan off there when I put him on, so and I put Fimber on. You're back anyway, Joan. Um, am, am I right? Oliver or Joan, that the GAA were refused permission in the area last year for reasons that included protection of a unique nature, of, of unique nature in the area. How can housing be allowed if that was the case?
17: Yeah, and I, I think your, your last caller kind of, you know, I, I think touched on it there about wanting to do an audit of, of, of the area and seeing what's inside. And I know that's what, what Joan and her, and her group want to do as well. Um, and it was just that the, the, the GAA applied for, uh, for housing development uh, r- very, very, very close to the valley um arguably on top of the valley um and one two things struck me one the level of of interest among councillors from all over the city so that there there was a briefing after development among councillors and ordinarily it would just be you know the councillors in the the local area who would come to this briefing Uh, but this drew councillors from all over the city i think from memory literally half the council were there Um, and it was it was people coming with their stories of of the area, you know, people having gone, gone there as as Boy Scouts and so on. Now, the actual reason for for it being refused was just that that there was a, a protected species of butterfly was found there. But I, I think everyone's suspicion, um, and from my own experience walking down there, there's as, there's so much biodiversity down there, there's so much nature down there. You, you you be sure there's
1: more species to be protected. So it's like the Central Park of the Northside.
17: <laughs> it, is, it is in a way. Um, certainly. Look, as, as I as I found out more about it, there, there's there's so many stories that people have uh, of of going there, and and so many kind of. You know, it, it, it's so important socially as as, as well as yeah. as well as environmentally.
1: John, do you do you have memories that you cling to that uh, you know you'd lose? I suppose if it was built on, you'd always have the memories, of course, but you'd you'd never have yeah. the option for future generations to create them. I
8: have lovely memories of them. Um Murphy's Rock and one of them is the sunset that you'd see from Murphy's Rock um, looking over at Chandon and um, the North Cathedral and um, just being down there as a child we used to run down you know there's a long there's a slope going down to the valley and we were able to run sometimes we roll down that, uh, that uh, slide and um, wonderful wonderful memories having picnics there and I met a couple recently in Blackpool, you know, and I brought it up about Murphy's Rock. And uh, she told me that um, her father and the, the family used to go to Murphy's Rock every Sunday and bring a primus. And he'd cook dinner out in Murphy's Rock. So, um, yeah, it's just a shame that we don't have photographs of that time where it just be packed with people having picnics, going down swimming. And, um, yeah, lovely, lovely place. And you'll never get it again in Cork City.
1: Yeah, Uh, I I think, you you know that site overlooking Shandon where they filmed the Young Offenders? Just get the Young Offenders up to Murphy's Rock and um, put it in a movie or something and it'll it'll be be kept in perpetuity there.
8: You see, you've people, um, I'm after saying this several times as well, you've people in Australia contacting me about Murphy's Rock. You've people over in America contacting me to preserve and try and preserve Murphy's Rock. And I have somebody in Dubai contacting me and making sure that we don't let anything happen to Murphy's yeah, Rock. And you've got and a, you've got a Facebook
1: page as well, the Murphy's Rock and Bride Valley Support Group. How, oh, yeah. how, how big is your group? How much people power can you bring, bring to bear uh, to at, to at, preserve Murphy's at, Rock and fulfil your ideals?
8: Well, at the moment we have 711 uh, followers and um, yeah, I think it's good. So, um, as I say, people all over the world have been to Muffey's Rock and they emigrated then and they're still there, but they still have fabulous memories of Muffey's Rock.
1: Okay, I'll get get a a closing comment from from each of you. I want to read out this text first. Uh, Hi Mick, there is a lack of amenities for all uh, the new social housing being built uh, in the north side. There will be thousands of children growing up with nowhere to play. I'm not against social housing, but uh, what's there isn't being planned properly. I'm sure the south side is planned much different to the north side. Getting rid of Murphy's Rock is a perfect example of it, uh, of of what shouldn't happen, I suppose. Um, uh, Joan, can I ask you directions to it? Because I'd like to go and see it. Oh, and okay. and, and, can, and can everybody go in or are there access issues? Yeah,
8: you can come in. There's no access issues or anything like that. Do you know Blackpool? I do. Do you know Dublin Hill? I do. Up to the top of Dublin Hill and you're heading for Black for um, the Black Man Bar. Yeah and there's um, right when you're coming up there and there's the ditch along just across from Canvara State and that's the start of Murphy's Rock. There are the wetlands and um, the lands where people walk every day and then you go across those lands and you look down into the valley then and it's just absolutely stunning.
1: Okay so so not just me but you'd encourage everybody to go up and visit and and, and use the land. Yes of
8: course of course and uh, it's a shame, really, that um, people don't know more about it. And a lot of people, even living in the area, are not even aware of it. Is there access for new- wheelchair,
1: wheelchair users, people with disabilities? No, no
8: not-, not yet. That's not what yet. we like. Yes. We don't want um, anything disturbed in Murphy's Rock, right? But we do want access for wheelchairs and people, you know, uh, how would I say, that have difficulty in walking, okay. right? But we would love that for them and we'd like to have it fenced off properly and a proper entrance coming in and a car park. You know, like they did out in Dalry College, but we don't want the same type of um, park, a regional park. We want it left alone. We want the area maintained as a nature reserve for the benefit of the entire community.
1: Okay, so it's got and, a, um, it's got some biodiversity, and you want you want to maintain that. Oh uh, yeah, John, thanks very much. I will leave the closing comments before comment to, you go. Yes, just before you
8: go. Sorry, no, uh, right. If you come out to the north side, there is no green area. The only green area is Murphy's Rock. Okay. And you have about 10 parks out in the south side. And I leave it
1: at that. All right. All right. All right, John. Thanks very much. Thanks for having uh, us on. Thank you. Uh, let's finish. Thank you. let's finish it up with bye Oliver Moran. Uh, final words, Oliver. Oh, he's gone, is he? Not to worry. Uh, okay. We have some texts which uh, I'll get you tomorrow. Uh, here's one. It's a disgrace for Mick Mulcahy to refer to Jonathan Ross on his programme this morning as Jonathan Wass. Uh, because he has a speech impediment. You probably won't read this out there. I just did. We have many texts on Russell Brand, which I'll get to in the morning. Uh, a lot of them uh, are along the the train of thought of where is the proof of these allegations? Just empty words. But we will return uh, to that uh, in the morning. My thanks to the program's producers, Seamus Wheelahan and Kevin Galvin and uh, the Neil Prendival Show. Uh, oh, sorry, I forgot Claire O'Connor. And she brought me a lovely coffee as well. And she got the sugar right. How could I forget? Claire O'Connor, you're a superstar. Thanks a million. For
0: more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward
8: slash podcasts.